And welcome to the That's Why They Were Quality podcast, where we review all things quality. Uh, we say the word geezer a lot, uh, we talk about the five years, you, you know the drill. Uh, and, and we're talking about Bruce Lee once again. And I'm my name's Lewis Sanchez, by the way, and I'm joined by Paddy Stanton. Yo, 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 back at it, back at it with new mic and everything, so, you know, shit's about to sound good. And uh, yeah, we dropped it off with um, Left Off last time, was the, the big boss. Big he boss. Just, yeah, he just busted and just all over everyone's faces in, in, in a not, fighting not, sense. Not literally, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, in a fighting sense. Yeah, it was a good one. Uh, I always thought the fighting scenes on that in that film are amazing as well. Uh, but I think the best is yet to come. Would you agree with that? Oh, definitely. Yeah, this, this is where uh, this is the, the period of his career that, that made Bruce Lee the superstar, the legend that he is today. And uh, and yeah, only gets better, I think, as as the films go on. And yeah, so should we we jump right back in where we left off? As well, just before you start, just with mm. he'll pose the question, and then obviously you can answer at the end of this this episode. What is the better film, or what has the better fight scenes? And we can answer that question at the end. Oh oh, when well, the next film we cover, it's got my favourite fight scene. But uh, mm-hmm. when we get to that, I'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, but yeah, so it, 1971, just after the release, just after filming ends of The Big Boss, uh, apparently w- when they were filming, the head of Paramount TV, Tom Tainenbaum, tried to contact him as they were moving the Longstreet episode that Bruce was in, uh, the, the Way of the Intercepting Fist, from the third episode to the season opener. So, um, it still has Bruce, very dirty connotations, don't you think? What's that? The way, <laughs> the way of the intercepting, the intercepting fist. fist yeah. I know we kind of broke that down on the last one, but I mean, a lot of uh, sexual innuendos when it comes to Bruce, and I, I don't think that is uh, as much of it's intentional to be fair. But we are what we have gathered is he's a very horny devil. Oh, yeah, he, he did get about a bit. But if you look like Bruce, I mean, you know, you're he, gonna have the offers, but yeah, so. They moved the episode from the third one to the first, so that meant that Bruce would be more of a vital role and the audience would expect to see him more. So they signed him to a contract to appear in more episodes and they offered him $1,000 an episode and Bruce asked for $2,000 and they agreed to that. So it's good, you know, Bruce learning from his mistakes, you know, about show business and negotiation. Paramount, they also offered to, they promised Bruce to develop a series for him to star in called Tiger Force. And all the uh, telegrams and telephone calls from Paramount uh, made Bruce Lee look like a big Hollywood hotshot to Raymond Chow. So it was good for, you know, his bargaining, um, his bargaining powers with them. At the same time, Bruce, very hot commodity, is before the, the film came out and been the success. Uh, Run Run Shaw had spies on the set of The Big Boss, and they were trying to contact Bruce, trying to sign him. So, so Bruce Lee was a bit like Killian Mbappe, like everyone was <laughs> after him. Towards the end of the film, Raymond Chow uh, met Bruce for the first time and, uh, and told him that he's going to be the biggest Chinese star in the world. 
and Golden Harvest made made the big boss the flagship of their of their efforts of their turnaround efforts of their marketing mm. and they threw their remaining capital into the film and they bought extensive ads and they threw a lavish welcoming party in the Hong Kong airport on the 3rd of September 1971 and 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 yeah it, basically when Bruce arrived he's very diplomatic and charming with the media and you know he again as we covered before learned learned a lot of good skills being in America hanging out with Steve McQueen mm. and um yeah he's you know he this was basically set up to be golden harvests what they were going to live or die by like their Wrestlemania one this was you mm. know they're, they're really putting it on for this and would you say Run Run was the the Asian Vince McMahon then? I'd say, um, hmm, yeah, it's um, or is he, is he more of a Bill Watts? Uh, I'd say Run Run Shaw was Vince, and Raymond Chow was like Cody, possibly, or he was like Jeff Jarrett. You know, he was like Jeff Jarrett. Uh, yeah, he was like Jeff Jarrett, but he was <laughs> like know. a bit more fortunate than Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> Let's hope he doesn't run, or he didn't run Golden Harvest into the ground with a pyramid scheme then. Exactly, yeah. There was no no run. There's no Raymond Gold going on there. Um, there was no. That's not where the Golden Harvest name got its uh, got its origin. Uh, but I, I think I think what would have been like basically Raymond Chow is Jeff Jarrett. If like when they signed AJ Styles back in the day, they realised his talent and made him like the top star, and and he like went on to to become like John Cena. He's mm. he's basically he as i said before actually yeah, it's basically like if tna had signed john cena that's kind of what this like uh golden harvest thing was i Damn. suppose big yeah, big um but yeah Why, so, he wasn't the little boss he was the big boss the big boss the big gaffer yeah um but bruce he also demanded that he would be allowed to return to hollywood to film the three remaining episodes of long street and and raymond agreed and also flew Bruce's family to Hong Kong, set them up in an apartment in Hong Kong, uh, no strings attached. Uh, Bruce's mother must have been annoyed because, you know, she you know, just said they, they moved to the US and now Bruce is moving back to Hong Kong. So Bruce's mother was like, fuck, fuck me, what's yeah. going on here, mate? Make your fucking on? mind up. I gave you $100 when you moved over. Now this is what you do to me. This is what you do to me. What's going on here? Yeah. Uh, the remaining three episodes of Long Street with Bruce in uh, weren't written by Sterling Sillifant, and the and they made last minute revisions, putting Bruce's character more in the background. Um, so it's a bit of a shame. Um, so the episodes they had less lines of dialogue for Bruce, and in the episode Smell Legacy Like Death, he had 19 lines. In the episode Wednesday Child, he had 12 lines, and in the episode I See. Um, mm. It's apparently, I think he had five lines of dialogue, I believe. And so strange that, isn't it? Like, because he mm. starts off. I mean, the way it incept and fist was the first episode of the entire season, wasn't it? So, yeah. what's what's the thought process in in that? Why does he just appear less and less? I think it's it's partly due to the the you know the stigma of um. I don't know how American audiences will take to a a, a man of a different ethnicity if he'll get over. And um, mm. they they just probably just didn't see they didn't see the potential, you know they didn't see the the star. I think it, I think it, the key thing there is Sterling Sillifant wasn't writing it. It's like if 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 he was writing those other episodes, I reckon he probably would have had a bigger role. Just a shame, really. Yeah, well, I mean, it's uh, he's got better things to come anyway, so I'm sure he wasn't too disappointed. 
Do you, do you think when it comes to Sterling and Bruce Lee, they it's interesting their dynamic, isn't it? I mean, what we just is it like a father son thing, or is it just like his protege, or how do you think they um, they got on day to day? It's a bit like Russo and and uh, and Jeff Jarrett in a way, <laughs> where you know, like like a booker has someone who they really like, so they give them good stuff. And then when 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 you know Russo left for, for TNA, Jeff Jarrett, you know he he plummeted straight down the card. It, it's a bit like that. It's a bit like I think uh, just someone sees potential in someone and and they they bring them up. You know you see it in football as well and mm. and it, in all business I suppose. Thought you were gonna say Jim Cornette then. <laughs> Jim so Cornette what... and yeah Jim Cornette and like uh, the Midnight Express or, or I can't, yeah. So what you say? I guess a lot of his success then he, he owes to Sterling, and he, and he probably admit well he would have admitted that. I I think so. I think a major yeah major part in it would be yeah. It depends how much of his success you really put on these like um these cameo appearances. Uh, but I I think so. I think so. It got his name out there, you know. Um, so I, I'd say so, yeah. Uh, but yeah, apparently Bruce had to fight for every line of dialogue, and even mm. he was annoyed. He was annoyed about his role getting smaller, but you know he was still laughing and joking with people on set. You know, showing a brave face. Um, and and the pilot of Long Street aired on the 16th of September 1971, and the New York Times gave the show mixed reviews. Uh, but Bruce himself got a very good review, so he was ecstatic. Very, when you say good. he was fighting for lines, I hope you don't mean physically, because I think he would have <laughs> left a lot of people uh, brain dead. <laughs> yeah, fighting for every line. He would have, yeah, he would have definitely got more lines if that was the case. <laughs> yeah. In September, Bruce heard that the Kung Fu project was being revived for TV. Two days after the New York Times article went out, Jerry Lader, who worked for Ted Ashley, over at um over at warner brothers uh, called bruce for a meeting um ashley phoned tom chun the head of warner brothers uh, tv division to lobby for bruce for the role of kai chang kane uh, for the the kung fu series a meeting was set up between tom and bruce and and the meeting went well um after uh, the after tom recovered from bruce lee scaring him with his nunchuck demonstration but he did really like bruce's energy and he found his presence mesmerizing and found him entertaining but Mm. he thought he was not right for the role and needed someone who was more cerebral and could portray serenity and thought bruce was a bit too intense cerebral Uh, you say a cerebral (laughs) assassin exactly that could have been triple h's big big break call in life there <laughs> exactly um he also did have trouble with bruce's accent and had a bit of trouble with understanding him and so i think because the big sort of assumption there the big sort of like headline that people push is that oh bruce lee didn't get the part because you know white audience uh white american audiences wouldn't mm. take to an asian male in, in as a lead leading guy but that's i don't think that's i don't think that's necessarily the case i mean according according to this account of the story i think it just wasn't the right casting yeah. for the role so yeah, i mean you can play it off as racism or all you want and all that but at the end of the day it's, it's all about casting isn't it like how many big actors do you see that were rumored for big films that don't get the part because they just weren't right for the part? It's just, it's just up to them, isn't it? At the end of the day, if they feel they're not right for it, then then they're not. 
Exactly, exactly. It's, it's mean, just if one... you if you were going to get casted, yeah, as say, you know, say you're going to do you were going to do a remake of Home Alone, you couldn't mm. be Macaulay Culkin because although you are pale and brown, Macaulay Culkin is is very very much more pale than you are. Even though I think you do a good job, maybe, maybe, but oh, you wouldn't yeah. be right with it. No, I mean Macaulay Culkin's even even taller than me, so you know it'd be would nowhere nowhere be in 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 the running. Actually, I mean, you were both once addicted to crack, so I mean, you've got that going for you. Um, so maybe I'm wrong. I don't know about crack. Yeah, it's illegal, but but you know, yeah. But but yeah, it's and he's a resting fan, Macaulay Culkin, though. So he is. Shout out Macaulay. He's got his own podcast too, so um, we could always do a little uh, a little promo for promo. Exactly. Game. Yeah, exactly. We we think uh, Michael Jackson's innocent as well. Well, at least I do. <laughs> I I have doubts. I have doubts. I don't know. I'll yeah. say I don't lean on one way or the other. But uh, but but you know, yeah. So I'd love to yeah. talk to you about that, McCauley. Make sure you tune into the next Council Council. Yeah. So, well, yeah. well, we'll we'll build up to that one, the MJ one, because that's going to take a lot <laughs> You're of. We're going to need to. Yeah. We're going to need to test the waters on that one. You know, I'm I'm sure. Oh yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be a lot of like that one's gonna be like a courtroom drama that whole episode. <laughs> it's gonna I'm gonna have to get ready for def- me defending myself against the rest of everyone else who's on it. <laughs> the rest yeah. of humanity. The rest of humanity. But but yeah, they, so basically they um for this the series Kung Fu they tried to cast another Asian actor, but there wasn't many Asian actors with experience in Hollywood at the time, so they um. So apparently George Takai was one of the people who was actually considered for it. And uh, they, they ended up uh, discarding the Asian half of the character Kane's ancestry and turned to the American side of his ethnicity and auditioned white actors. And they ended up giving the role to American actor David Carradine. And this is where, you know, this is like the big outrage uh, years later, I suppose, uh, you know, about about the yeah, the sort of cultural appropriation of this, giving mm. this to a white, having a white guy play uh, an Asian role. Um, and, and yeah, it, it, you know, not not great, I suppose. It's a bit fucked. But like, sh- I mean, was there not that many? Surely there were there was Asian actors in Hollywood at the time that were decent. Like by the sounds of what you described, there, there wasn't that many experienced ones which is it's quite surprising isn't it yeah 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 it's one of them where i mean it's yeah i don't know but like, was it an excuse did how how mm. hard did they search for for them yeah. it's, it's one of them it's um you, you people always will will try and make themselves look like everyone always thinks that they're in the right so if you speak to them, they're probably going to say, no, it wasn't racially motivated. But then you speak to someone else, they they might give you a different story. So it's it's difficult. But I think it's unfair, though, because everyone jumps to the conclusion, oh, it was just racism. Maybe partially, maybe it was. But mm. I don't think that's the ultimate story. I think maybe it was just bad casting. It's a bit of both, isn't it? Imagine that in this day and age, though. Um, you got some um, some white actors that play an Asian role, like... Imagine like old oh, good old Kenny Styles, you know, the, the, <laughs> one of the greats, the greats of porn world. You know, imagine if he didn't get the casting and he, he deserved in the porn world, and he gave it to some, you know, white guy Danny D got a role instead. You know, I was just thinking Danny D. <laughs> <laughs> of course, yeah. yours, because you love the size of it. That's why. I'm not a big fan of Danny D. He's got a bit of go away heat with me. I'm, I'm, <laughs> he's, he's not. He's not. Uh, he's not. 
Um, nah, not not a bit of me. <laughs> Explain that. Explain why you don't like Danny D. Well, I don't dislike him. It's just he, he's a bit. He's a bit. He, he like he gets cast as the knob. I mean, <laughs> li- li- literally, literally, and and character wise. Uh, but he he just seems like a bit of a bit obnoxious, and that's probably just him playing up for the screen. I don't know what the, the guy is like in real life, mm. but I, I prefer like um I'm trying to think of the guy's name. I quite like J Mac. He's very good. He puts in some good performances. <laughs> he gets he gets good good out of the on screen um performances. Let me have a look. Let me have a look at some porn mailers. <laughs> so there's one I'm thinking of. You fully buy into the uh, the storytelling aspect of porn, don't you? I know you've seen some um, some five star films, haven't you? I mean, it helps, you know. I think it does help, like you know, the whole thing about you know you do like you know looking good is is the main part of of, of porn, I suppose, and, and performing on screen. But also having some like likability, some personality does matter because people like like um, I'm trying. To, Alina Bell was a great example. If you look at her, absolutely stunning. But she's just not like you know. She doesn't. She's like she's not that. She's a bit boring in a way. She doesn't Mm. have like the personality of like uh, Angela White or Mm. like um, Rena Ellis. You know. Yeah. I just skip to the good bits personally. But to be fair though, that sort of mentality that can be said about anything that can be said about you know musicians, actors, the lot. You know, like if if a known musician is a bit more of a bit of a knob, then makes me like him a bit less. Exactly, exactly. Uh, I tell you who I do like actually, not 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 necessarily personality wise, but there's this this actor called Dread, and when he does his like uh, his scenes, he's usually <laughs> playing some good hip hop in in the background. Like he, I've been seeing him in a scene with um, it might have been Kendra Sunderland, I'm not too sure, and you know he he was he was playing a bit of tribe in the background, and I've seen him in another scene where he's been wearing a. Yeah, um, I think it might have been with Blake Blossom, possibly. And he was wearing, like, um, a De La Soul t-shirt. Uh, the stakes is high. And I was like, oh, well, he's, yeah, he seems like, you know, he might, you know, hang out with him. He'd, he'd, you know, be a geezer. Yeah, and you'd love to, wouldn't you? And then, uh, you know, get on all the other porn stars with him. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's such a scary porn. Dread, George Dredd's coming to get you. <laughs> yeah. he, best be, he best be a tank. Oh, he is, he is. Yeah, he is. Oh, oh. See, so, yeah. If I was, we should move on because you were. Ooh. Ooh, ooh. So, so yeah, George Takai and the Association of Asian Pacific American Artists. It's a very long name there. You should shorten that. But anyway, <laughs> fill, they they filled out a formal complaint for un, unfair hiring processes at the time. However, the show hired Asian Kung Fu advisor David Cho, and they offered other roles to Asian actors. This is the series Kung Fu we're talking about. So, um, so yeah, the AAPAA realised realised as the show went on that uh, it was a great source of employment for Asian Asian acting community. So I don't think the series came under that much flack uh, as a result. Uh, and the Kung Fu series would actually go on to be cancelled after the, the, the guy casting the lead role, David Carradine, got arrested for attempted burglary and uh, miscellaneous mischief in 1974. Uh, while he was high on peyote, he broke into a neighbor's home and accosted two young women, allegedly assaulting them. One while he was asking if she was a witch, and the women <laughs> sued him for one point one million dollars, and they were awarded twenty thousand dollars. So 
I mean, Jesus. Yeah. All yeah. that shit that they went through, and they hired this guy, this jabroni. Where was the background? Where, where was like the you know the vetting of this man? Surely was he was was he famous at this point or what? Um, I believe so. I'm have a look at his. I was on Wikipedia. He's got a famous face on him. He does look a bit familiar. Yeah, he's got. He'd go on to be in that old. Uh, he was in Kill Bill, wasn't he? Wow. Yeah. A, he's a prolific B movie actor. So yeah. did he set? Did he just pay up the the fine then and settle it out of court? And um, is that what happened? Uh, I'm not too sure, but he did go on to, you know, I'm looking at his Wikipedia here and he... Uh... Oh, my God. <laughs> Guess what? He's so fucked up. Listen to how he died. Accidentally died at the age of 72 due to autoerotic asphyxiation. Jesus. <laughs> Says it all. Jesus. Also... He could have just bit the bullet and hired Bruce. I mean, Bruce is a bit off his head, but he would never have choked himself to death. Exactly, exactly. He he wouldn't he yeah, yeah, that would have been a much safer casting having the old Bruce in there. and also another thing, um David Carradine, he did actually get cast as Bruce's appears to be Bruce's role in you know that film that Bruce was writing with um with um Sterling Silliphant and oh, James yeah. Coburn. It turned into a film called Circle of Iron. Well apparently David Carradine was cast in Bruce's role for that. So second time beat him on casting, even <laughs> posthumously. Uh, that's that's gotta be, be annoying. Makes a lot of sense as well, because the, the plot of that film is uh, incredibly stonerific, wasn't it? Oh yeah. And, uh, and uh, yeah, this guy, wow. That's that's hilarious. Wow. Probably Says helped being on peyote for that film. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Uh, yeah. He lived that life though, eh? And he had the, the the hair to back it up as well. You know, when someone just looks like he's he's off his head because of uh, his hair, he's just got the, the the gray slicked back hair going on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He, he looks like a guy who's lived lived a life. There's some years behind those uh, behind that face. Have you ever gave it auto erotic asphyxiation a go? Uh, me? Um, yeah. No, I've not actually. No, it's not a bit of me really. No, no, you're nah. not that, not that kinky. I'm not that kinky. I don't even on the few in sexual encounters I have had, I've been asked before, like, uh, oh, would you like to be tied up? And I said, no, 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 thank you, no, not really. <laughs> no. There we go. Stand by that statement. In this yeah. day and age, that's a rarity. Yeah, I'm not. It's not not a bit a bit of me really. I'm not really uh, not really into that business. But, uh, but for each your own, if you're going to do erotic asphyxiation, do it safely. I I, I, yeah. I, I think don't do it because it's not worth it, but, but do it safely if you're going to do it. Yeah, it's just like wearing a seatbelt, similar. You know, there's a way of doing it safely. Exactly, exactly. So um, Ted Ashley then offered Bruce $25,000 uh, development deal, and I think that was $25,000 in i think that might have been in back in 1971 money so more today with with warner brothers which allowed bruce to pay off his mortgage uh, bruce had an idea ready to pitch and developed a seven page tv proposal it was called ask sam and who was the name of the lead character uh, the name of the show and the name of the lead character and it was set in the old west and Assam was and I'm, again i'm probably pronouncing that wrong was a Chinese Kung Fu master who travelled the Old West 
looking to liberate Chinese workers being exploited exploited by the Tongs. Um, because of the similarities to Kung Fu, it had it was it led to some people think it was the same project. Unfortunately, as Sam's proposal doesn't have a date, um, so we don't know if he wrote it before or after this screenplay to Kung Fu was written. So I think that that's where a lot of people, a lot of people make the assumption that Bruce Lee wrote the series Kung Fu or came up with the series Kung Fu and they stole it from him and gave it to David Carradine where I don't, it could be true, but I don't believe that that is true. And once Bruce was offered the development deal, he submitted his proposal to Warner Brothers with the new title, The Warrior, which I believe has actually got made recently. Oh, was that the uh, yeah with Tom Hardy and Kurt Angle? Kurt Angle was in it too. Oh no, I think that was an MMA thing, The Warrior. But I think there's another a TV series called The Warrior. That's it. Yeah, it's it has been. It was 2019. Um, it's been made two seasons. Can actually give that a watch. Actually, uh, yeah, apparently based on an idea, um, by Bruce Lee and executive mm. produced by his daughter Sharon Lee and a geezer called Justin Lin. So yeah. Okay, that's cool. Considering uh, what fifty years or so after the fact that TV show gets made, it just goes to show that you could be writing whatever your script that you're writing on, you know, the MMA show uh, or any of other scripts. In sixty years' time, some jabroni could be making them shows and making money off your hard work. Yeah, and then they they end up getting all the groupies, and I don't. <laughs> yeah, five, exactly. Fifty years it will be at that point. <laughs> Don't yeah. say that. Don't say that. Oh, imagine, my goodness. imagine that. We have the uh, the fifty year anniversary oh. podcast. Oh no, no. <laughs> no, you definitely would have would have asphyxiated yourself by then, wouldn't you? <laughs> Jesus, Jesus. Yeah. Oh. <sighs> <laughs> Let's not think that far, Jesus. Not we haven't really. even hit ten years yet. Not hit. No, don't say yet. Don't say yet. <laughs> So, according to Linda, he didn't sign the Warner Brothers develop, development deal as he wanted to see how the big boss did at the box office, and then that would strengthen his position. So, Bruce, learning the, the rules of the ropes, learning the, the leverage involved in show business. Uh, on the 11th of October 1971, Bruce, Linda, Brandon and Shannon arrived in Hong Kong. And they were met with a celebratory cavalcade of lanterns as they got off the plane, which was organised by Raymond Chow. A bit like how when the Beatles arrived in uh, America, uh, Brian Epstein, he... I mean, I think some of the fans was organic, but he kind of, like, you know, he offered... I think he was giving out free T-shirts and free merchandise if people would come down. And he... It was a bit more set up than it looked like. You know, it wasn't completely like, oh, just... 5,000 people just happened to turn up. It, it was kind of organised. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, Golden Harvest first films, they didn't do so well. So as we can see by attempts like this, they really need this one to succeed. Uh, they did loads of print, radio and TV interviews for the film. And it, prim- it premiered on uh, the 29th of October 1971. And Raymond, Bruce, Linda, all nervous as they watched the film... And, you know, because apparently the Hong Kong audiences, they'd be very hard to please and they would vocally curse a bad movie that they didn't like it. And apparently even sometimes they would stab up the seats with knives if they didn't like the film. So that's that's not what you want. 
I mean, I'm, I imagine the, the painter, decorate the decorators of that of the theaters were also also nervous. <laughs> Jesus, that's madness, isn't it? Like we got we get we get told to shut sit down in the pictures just to be throw a bit of popcorn about. We get told to sit down at a wrestling show <laughs> when, the, when, when the guys are wrestling in the, in the crowd and you need mm. to actually stand up to see them. Yeah. <laughs> sit down. <laughs> what? Mm. <laughs> You're a wrestling show for fuck's sake. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, yeah, shush but, me. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We go searching for the shush. Uh, <laughs> after the film was finished uh, in the cinemas, there was a silence and then uproarious applause. And the movie, as we, we mentioned at the end of the last episode, broke box office records in Hong Kong that were held going back to Julie Andrews and The Sound of Music. It opened in 16 theatres in Hong Kong and took over $372,000 in its first day. And it passed the magical £1 million uh, mark in three days over... Um, or it might be dollars, I'm not sure. Over the three-week run in local theatres, it grossed 3.2 billion uh, million uh, pounds over in here. So I'm going to say it's pounds. Mm. And the, the China Mail estimated that 1.2 million people in Hong Kong went to see it, which was over a quarter of Hong Kong's population. That was, of course, four million at the time. So I mean, madness, absolute madness. So is that good that's just good for any film as well it's not just like a martial arts film because what what sort of would we what would you get in the box office even back then was it anything close to this you know say like a big budget film for the 60s i don't know really it's different i mean in america certainly i wouldn't think it'd be much but in hong kong i'm not too sure i think that would, that would be a large part of what um they would be making to be fair so it, it's probably um yeah they, they probably were well you know the ones that they what they were competing against was julie andrews the sound of music weren't it so mm. they can't exactly. have been yeah so probably reached new heights for for, for the yeah. martial arts film as well yeah it's not just martial arts but and if you're just there for inflation as well it's like 300 million dollars so mm. that's like you know compared to the, say like the avenger films and that sort of thing in, in this in this day and age so it's impressive isn't it Oh, definitely. I mean, what one quarter over a quarter of the population of Hong Kong went to see it. I mean, that is that is absolute madness. And mm. and Bruce's performance helped to restore uh, national pride to the Chinese. Apparently, uh, I've got there's a short extract from the Bruce Lee book, Bruce Lee: A Life by Matthew Polly, that details more about how he changed a national pride <clears throat> about how he changed national pride. Uh, give me one second. Respect to a good old Matthew. Eh? We'll have him on the podcast one of these days. Oh yeah, definitely. If, if open invitation, Matthew. If you want to come on it, then uh, then yeah, you know, you're more than welcome. Yeah. So you shoot the shit. We can shoot the shit. Um. So yeah, in the book it states here, Bruce's electrifying performance tapped into the unconscious yearnings of the public. Hong Kong's population in 19 in 1842 was 7,000 in 1971 it was 4 million the vast majority were mainland Chinese who had fled successive waves of disasters Hong Kong was essentially a high functioning refugee camp run by a British businessman if anyone needed a shot of ethnic boosting it was the Hong Kong Chinese who suffered from not only an inferiority complex but also an identity crisis 
where they where they were they chinese immigrant were they chinese migrants or british colonial subjects or both or what robert klaus who directed enter the dragon argues bruce did more for the chinese psyche than any dozen politicians or martyrs this acted as gut level therapy for millions of overworked and underprivileged people bruce rekindled a feeling of pride and literally brought his countrymen to their feet screaming and cheering in hundreds of theaters they suddenly felt better about themselves and could take another day with a little less pain and prejudice so just, I mean, I couldn't have said it any better than that, really. You, you see what kind of impact Bruce had mm. with, with that film there. It's powerful stuff, isn't it, really? It's like, could you imagine, like, something like this happening in this day and age? I don't think it could, could it? Like, someone, you know, if we had um, an idol, like, an, in, in, someone from England, you know, there was a, an icon like that who literally changed, like, the trajectory, trajectory of, like, how the nation would become. It's, you'd never, you'll never see that again, will you? Yeah, it's a difficult one, that, yeah. Um, See, England is a a difficult example because we are, like, you know, one of the um, the, the great, the big... Yeah, privileged as well, aren't we? Yeah, exactly, yeah, one of the big powers of of the world. So I think, I don't know if we'd ever be in a position, but someone like, maybe like a a Bob Marley's influence, maybe on the world Mm. for, for Jamaicans back in, like, the 70s, um that, that maybe be com- comparable to what bruce lee was just think like how successful the nations they are now hong kong is and china is and the, those parts of the world and like you just think wow if, if bruce didn't exist then you might not necessarily be there now or they might not got to the to the state that they're in as you know as quickly as they did or you just don't know yeah yeah it, it definitely it did do a lot for their national pride and their and and yeah yeah as you say probably yeah. influenced their their success in other industry in in their, their industries and what have you. Think of all like the little kids that were looking up to Bruce and like what like you said did for the prior and like personalities that that would change and the people that become like he he shaped a lot of like as probably politicians and probably a lot of the policies and the way like actually you know we're not inferior to the rest of the world we're superior. Oh yeah, it probably did a lot for Pride and for UFC. It did a lot for. Uh, for, for... Wait. I had to I had to fit that one in there. So That's had... no debate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, so the the big boss came at a time that set off a firestorm of Chinese nationalism, and on the seventh of seventh uh, of June, nineteen seventy-one, uh, just over two months before the big boss was released. President Richard Nixon announced the US at the USA would be giving the Dayu Islands renamed the Senkaku Islands to Japan. They had been placed under US control after the war and China, Taiwan and Japan laid claim to them. And the nationalism would only increase with this next film. Um, sadly, Bruce's films actually were banned in mainland China at the time. So at the time, although Hong Kong was was seeing a surge of Chinese nationalism, um, and and you know it, it was giving everyone a boost to their psyche in in mainland China, they weren't seeing the films, which is a great shame. Um, is that just due to the the dictatorship going on at the time? Yeah, yeah, due to the the communist regime. Yeah, yeah. 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 
Uh, on the 25th of November 1971, Bruce got a call from Warner Brothers telling him that David Carradine had been cast in Kung Fu and that they were also going to reject his projects, The Warrior. So not not a great phone call that. Um, <laughs> and and, and I, mean, I hope he didn't also charge Bruce for the call. I hope it wasn't also Oof. a collect call. Imagine that. Oh, imagine that. Oh. oh, my God. It'd be hundreds. It would be, yeah. Mm. It'd be like, you, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like when uh, when you get home from a from a night out and you call Babe Station and you just look at your phone bill the next day, you're like, shit. Jesus. Same, same sort of thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah, so Bruce and Linda were in a bad financial state and the press were also calling Bruce the ultimate mid-Pacific man, which is a term west for a westernised Chinese man. So basically like a sellout, how maybe like sort of akin to how some people would call uh, African-Americans maybe like Uncle Tom's, like um, um, what OJ series, he got accused of that by, by a lot of people. Um, and Bruce Bruce was worried about not being accepted by people in Hong Kong and also not being accepted by people in America, like being sort of, you know, not really having the allegiance of either, either country. Mm, stuck and, in limbo, essentially. Stuck in limbo, yeah. I think even when Bruce was like... Um, I think when he was, when he, well, we'll get onto it, but when he was writing, when he would go on to write The Way of the Dragon and he'd be writing scripts in Chinese, he'd actually have to look up a lot of the words, you know, because he'd been in America for so long. And uh, and I think it was Mandarin he spoke or Cantonese, I can't remember, but the, both languages incredibly complex. It, mm. He actually, you know, had to, he, he probably was, lo- make, you know, he, not, I don't know about losing his identity, but he... Mm. Um, yeah, he was, you know, living in America, maybe westernized him a bit more. And uh, and this certainly came up when he went on his um, went on the P- the Pierre Burton show on the 9th of December 1971. Um, and that's where we get the most famous example of the uh, the, the B water clip, which is used in all of these documentaries. Mm. Um, and that and Pierre Burton asked him, you know, what do you want people to consider you? as more chinese or more westernized and this is where and this is my favorite bruce lee quote where he, he talked about how he said he wanted to be considered a, a human being and we'll mm. play that in now you still think of yourself chinese or do you ever think of yourself as north american you you, you know what i want to think of myself as a human being because I mean, I don't want to sound like, you know, as Confucius say, but under the sky, under the heaven, man, there is but one family. It just so happened, man, that people are different. Okay, we got to go. Thank you, Bruce Lee, for coming hey, here. Thank, thank you, you for yeah. watching. Thank you. Yeah, and... Yeah. Well said, Bruce, my son. Well said, Bruce, mate, yeah. Ooh, Do you know, yeah. obviously, because this was the most popular clip, probably, as interview-wise, isn't it? Um, was he using the, the whole water, be like water thing? Do you think he was using that long before this? Um, I think so, yeah, because, I mean, when we was... I think when he was on that... When he was on a boat uh, back in the day before he moved to America, he was, like, reading, like, Taoist philosophy, and I think they talked a bit about water. And so I imagine... They they had like similar philosophies about flowing like water and what have you. So I imagine maybe he adapted the saying from from the philosophy he'd been reading. Um, and then the, the line was was scripted by um, Sterling Siliphant. But apparent but Sterling Siliphant uh-huh. said that he most of the script came from things that Bruce Lee had said to him during the training. So I don't really know to be honest who came up with it first. 
So, These um, damn scriptwriters, they're ruining the business. <laughs> yeah, I, I like to think it's just, I like to credit it to Bruce, because it is like the, the famous one, so just fuck it, just credit it to Bruce. Like. But it's, it's a difficult one, I mean, I suppose you'll never know without actually talking to Bruce and Sterling Silliff, and, and um, it's, it's a difficult one, really, who came up with it. Hmm. Maybe one he wants compared it to to being a beer or, or maybe a, a joint, and then it, and then it just it, it obviously he couldn't go on a show like that and talk about joints, could he? So he, he just adopted it to water because it's like the most simple, plain thing he could do. But I think what he really meant was was be the joint, be the. Yeah. It was originally be the Carlsberg, but then they said, well, we can't. You know, we're not sponsored by Carlsberg. So all oh, right, okay, be water then. Yeah, um, that was yeah. just before the, the geese wiser was invented, wasn't it? Now, geese, geese wiser, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I hear geese wiser though suffering. I, th- I heard it, it invested some stock very badly though. Geese wiser bit. Mm, yeah, we've been public, man. It's not, it's not good. You know, obviously you hear about the uh, going to the moon at the moment and the the stonks, uh, if you like, with the AMC and GameSpot. And you know, I, I tried my best to do that because I, I wanted people like yourself, normal peasants, to invest. And be successful in the Geeswiser and in, in in all the others, and unfortunately, it's um it's not looking good, Lou. I mean, I'll I'll have to confirm in the future, but um, but yeah, it's um it's not looking good, I'm I'm afraid. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, luckily I didn't, you know, I wasn't getting sponsorship from Geeswiser, so I, did, I didn't have money to invest, so you know, so hey, that's that's paid off anyway. So uh, for for Bruce's next film, Fist of Fury. Bruce was annoyed about the slap, slapdash nature of the script and refused to start filming until a detailed script was complete. As I say, I said before, um, you know, films, Hong Kong films were were sometimes only three pages long, and Bruce was used to the American system of having a full detailed script. So over a weekend, Raymond Chow had to rewrite the script. Um, Bruce would have more control over the fight scenes on this film, and I believe he, he did do the choreography of the fight scenes on this. And the story was agreed upon by Bruce Raymond and director Lo Wei. And it was based on the legend of Master Ho I'd like to say good effort, but it wasn't. It wasn't, no. Hey, it's, they were based on the legend of the Master H-U-H-U-O space Why? <laughs> you got the space right. The space was definitely there. What? Why? Why? U A N J I A. I don't know how that's pronounced, but it's for that geezer. And um, and it, like and trying it, to do a fucking crossword. This. It is. A, you have to piece together this. Um, and and it yeah. And, and the founder of the famed famed kung fu school, Jin Wu. And it became um, a national hero. Uh, this this le- um, and he became a national hero. This this legend when he challenged a Russian wrestler called China, called China China <laughs> something. I don't know. Let's just say <laughs> I just picture it being Rusev for some reason. <laughs> He's definitely Bulgarian. You racist. <laughs> He's Bulgarian. Is he Bulgarian or is he Russian? He's Bulgarian, yeah. Oh, he's got Bulgaria tattoo in it. Oh, Jesus. Oh, no, I've been cancelled. So, <laughs> <laughs> you blame, blame, blame Vince for that one. Um, but yes, it just goes on to show the, the evil Russian wrestler gimmick, 
was still still going mm. on back then, you know. Yeah. yeah, it never dies. It's going on back then, and it's still still prevalent to this day, as outdated and offensive as it is. Yeah, yeah. He's basically called. Basically, it was the legend was this Kung Fu Master versus Water from NXT. Basically, yeah. <laughs> I'd pay to see that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, the the Russian. So after the Kung Fu Master beat the um, the evil uh, Russian wrestler, the Russian immediately apologized. And uh, the story was fictionalized uh, in the novel Modern Chivalry Heroes by P. Jang. In in the story, um, hey, uh, Ho or H U O, however it's pronounced, uh, beats the martial arts champions from Russia, Japan, and England, and restores pride to his people. But in the end, the Japanese kill him. And Fist of Fury decided rather to retell this story. Uh, it would be about Chen Jian, a student of of Ho, H U O, however you pronounce it, who went on to get revenge for his master's death. And the film was set during the Japanese occupation of Shanghai. Mm, so yeah, that's where the Fist cool. of Fury comes about. Yeah, um, yeah, we'll get into it. But this film is quality, like you said, touches on Japanese colonialism and the actual, just the realistic nature of it and the combat um, fight scenes in it. Yeah, in terms of fight scenes, it's probably my favourite film by Bruce. Not going to lie. Oh yeah, this this has my favourite fight scene of probably any movie I'd say. Mm. And it was like such a in terms of just the film and like the um, just this progression, um, you'd see it like it's only like a year difference, but he really really honed the craft and he really got it down. And I noticed like he was aggressive, more aggressive. He was like the facial features that were more like prevalent as well, and like. Just like the themes as well in it, you know, touching on like the historical social references, you know, Japanese imperialism as well. So all that sort of thing made it like a, it's a really powerful film, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, if 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 the last film, you know, restored Chinese pride, this film was, was set to, to blow it up. You know, this was set to do that tenfold. So, yeah, apparently while Bruce was still refusing to film this until the script was you know properly finished. He went to Japan to recruit one of his idols, actor Shinatru Katsu, to be in the film. Uh, and he, he'd he been in a film with uh, Jimmy Wang Yu um, called Zaychek meets Z-A-T-O-I-C-H-I meets the one-armed swordsman. And Bruce wanted to be in a, a better film with him so he could be seen as a bigger star. So, you know, sort of maybe people will make the comparison like this guy was in a film with Jimmy Wang Yu, but then he was in a better film with me. So I'm the bigger people see me as a bigger star than Jimmy Wang Yu. Um, wow, Bruce Lee, uh, he's definitely taking a page out of Triple H's book. He knows who he's associating himself with. Oh, yeah. I mean, the ego, the egos. I mean, this this is this is where the egos really do start to um start to play up around this time. Uh, and yeah. Katsu said that he couldn't be in it. Uh, he, so he couldn't. Katsu said that he couldn't be in Fist of Fury as he was contractually bound. Uh, maybe I think maybe I'll run run sure. So he offered up two other actors from his acting troupe, who were a professional baseball player, Ricky Hashimoto, who played the role of the vil- villainous sensei, and um, a former professional wrestler, Jan Katsumura 
who played the role of the sensei's bodyguard. And I looked him up on cagematch.net, couldn't find anything. So. Uh, Katsumura as well, that sounds, it sounds familiar, doesn't it? It um, does, yeah. What's quite interesting, I realised about the film as well. So the US title originally was The Chinese Connection, and I was like thinking to myself, fuck, I remember the film The French Connection, but apparently like that was the reason they named it that, it was to tap into the popularity of the film The French Connection. So, I mean, if you've ever seen The French Connection, go out, you ain't see it, because that's a class film as well. Weird you say that. I was I was thinking of what before I started watching Cheers. I was thinking of putting that on last night. I might might watch that tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've seen it in the past. It's great. One great of the best film, films but... in the seventies. That one, and mm. also it uh, fucking Jackie Chan was a was one of the students in this. I, I had no idea. He just like, made I, a cameo. Yeah, yeah. I think this one of the bumps that he took in this. Uh, he was uh, in the dojo scene. He was one of the um one of the the people getting thrown about, and I think. I believe, I'm not sure, I can't confirm this, but I want to say that he was the guy who took the big back body drop bump. Um, and I think that bump really got him like on the map. As seeing, got like, him over. This, yeah, got him over. Like, oh, this guy's willing to, you know, put his body on the line. So, yeah, um, this version yeah. of the Foley off the top of the cell. Yeah, so, somewhere, somewhere just off screen, Jim Ross was going, how does he learn to fall? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I learned to fall on the 24 ladder. Terry, he's, his body's broken in half. So GMT's um, referees down. <laughs> imprinted into our memories. Anyone who owned the DVD in, <laughs> uh, wrestling DVD in uh, the they should put yeah. that on the network. So I remember though, that was great. Uh, there's it's nice comfort in that. Nostalgia. Uh, seeing, nostalgia. Seeing Bubba Ray Dudley dazed as he was being held up by two different people. Um so yeah, so so the, this was the first time that a Hong Kong studio hired Japanese actors to play villains in a, in an anti-japanese movie they decided not to give the japanese actors the script and the director just told them be odious so you know uh you know breaking breaking grounds uh in in this film bruce wasn't hired as the choreographer hang yi chen was still the lead choreographer but in the opening fight scene when they came to, to film that Bruce started to give instructions and from then on um Hang Yi Cheng Chen I'm probably pronouncing that wrong as well uh he, he just stepped back and said Bruce you know you, you, you do it yeah and you can and, imagine that though can't you like as soon as it starts he just takes over and like nah and it's like what you do in his position you're just like fuck it yeah go on yeah you're, like, you're the master here yeah, it's like you can either you can either argue with this 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 trained potentially lethal killing machine, <laughs> or or you could step back, let him mm. do the work, and still receive the money for it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, oh, you yeah. twisted me arm, you know. <laughs> so I know what so, I do. Exact same same here. So during the film, Bruce wanted to make the fighting look as realistic as possible. So what happened was they actually hit each other. They they worked strong style. And this is this is why Bruce. I probably mentioned this before. This is why Bruce wanted to hire actual martial artists rather than actors to be in these films. So he hired Bob Wall, a student of his, to play the Russian bad guy. Um, which yeah, that was that was a very good fight scene in this film as well. And someone who was also cast in this film, which you just said before, was Jackie Chan as well, um, making his first film with Bruce here. Um, Lo Wei, the director, cast himself in the film as the inspector, 
and Bruce and Loway had an argument on the set, I believe, that almost turned into a fight because in the press, Loway had said that he taught Bruce Lee how to fight in front of the camera. And Bruce Lee took it as Loway saying that he taught Bruce Lee how to fight. You know, he taught him martial arts. Mm-hmm. And Loway's wife actually had to come and calm Bruce down. And yep. man's fuming, isn't he? Whatever mm-hmm. he's at, yep, man's not a happy man. Taking no. credit. No, I mean, it's, it, it, you know, if you, I played a clip here of the Pierre Burton interview where he says he has a temper, you know, a violent temper. One of the things, Bruce Lee, one of his, as I say, no one is perfect. And that was one of his faults was, was Bruce's temper. Yeah, you know, I was thinking that exact thing, watching uh, Fist of Fury and the fight scenes is he really tapped into, you know, when the wrestlers say it, they're, they're just themselves, turn themselves up to 11. Well, you could tell on in this film, he was that convincing that that's definitely the case. You can tell he's got a temper and he's an angry man. And he just, he managed to just apply as, as, as much as possible when he was on screen and he really bought into the fight scenes because of it. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so, yeah. Um, apparently, after this, Bruce decided that he would direct all of his fight scenes from now on so no one could take credit for his work. And um, <laughs> lo, lo, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it, it's good in a way. I mean, you know, it's um, and the, the fight scenes turned out better as a result. What you do, put like a little TM on there, a little pattern <laughs> on the end of like every, every fight scene. Yeah. Um. But apparently Bruce and Loway continued to get on each other's nerves throughout filming. Uh, but Bruce, while making this, studied every aspect of the filmmaking process and continued to ask countless questions so that he could have complete control over every aspect of his career. And he decided, I think he wanted to be a producer like Raymond Chow uh, and definitely paid off, obviously, because the next film would be uh, The Way of the Dragon, which he wrote, directed, I think he produced as well. So you know it was a good good idea by bruce and talking before about like sort of the clicks and show business the bruce lee click is very much in effect here as a lot of the people who are in a lot of the people who are in the big bus came back for fist of fury uh, that might also just be because maybe golden harvest being a smaller company didn't have a wide yeah. variety of people to choose from do you think um, bruce has their own version of the too sweet <laughs> potentially yeah the old wolf pack in the house <laughs> And and one one of those people, uh, Nora Meow, uh, is cast as the love interest of Bruce Lee, and shared the only only on screen kiss Bruce has actually ever had. So you know, get in there, son. Mm. Uh, mm. And there was there was rumours there too. Rumours, very much rumours. On the on the next film, The Way of the Dragon, apparently that's where people say the affair took place. Uh, mm. But I I believe I, I'm not sure if they've. I think Bruce denied it, but I, I don't. I, I'm not, I think Nora might have de- denied it as well. I don't know if she's spoken on it, but but there's rumours. Rumours. Uh, Golden Harvest wanted to groom her uh, to be a swordswoman role, as apparently there was only like two stereotypical roles for young actresses. One was the love interest, and the other one was like you know the hero swordswoman type fighter. Mm. Uh, she was one of only three female actresses at Golden Harvest. So, you know, and also Lo Wei took her under his wing and she became his goddaughter. So Mm. a bit of nepotism there as well, you could say. So apparently she was also friends with Bruce's brother, Robert, and uh, friends of 
Bruce and he was and she was friends of Bruce's family. And when Robert became successful as a teen pop idol, he was linked with Nora romantically in the press. However, it's not clear if they were actually romantic with each other or just friends. After Fist of Fury, the press linked Bruce with Nora in a sort of love triangle. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not clear if Bruce and Nora ever did have it away. And uh, she now hosts a radio show in Canada called CB, uh, on CBC called Coffee Talk. So I don't know. Mm. Hopefully she'll talk about it on there maybe. But she likes a good coffee, eh? She probably needs it after getting banged by two men all night. Well, allegedly, allegedly, <laughs> allegedly. You know. To be fair, though, Bruce, he's done this in the past. He does this is a pattern, you know, three-way love triangles. Remember the last one with uh, Steve McQueen and um, yeah, other geezer. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. you know, something so, to think on. Exactly, exactly. So that that, that, might, that might be another reason why they were romantically linked because it made a good story. So another role went to Fan Juxia who was the eldest student of the Sifu, who is played by Tian Fien, a, a veteran Chinese actor who's in films such as The One-Armed Swordsman and Five Fingers of Death. If you were watching Kung Fu films at the time, you, you'll see him pop up quite a bit. So good, a good get there. Uh, Paul Wei-Ping, uh, Pei Wing... Uh, I'm pronouncing that wrong. Um, he, he was cast as the infeminate interpreter for the villain... And he was actually, in real life, um, an assistant director. And then he would go on to be in, in loads of films as well. I think he, he very much played, like, the uh, the effeminate. I think the sort of, you know, it's sort of connotations that he might be might be homosexual. I think is sort of how the role was played up. But it was never stated. But he's sort mm-hmm. of like the, the Weasley type role. Little Wuxia her- hero for you there, eh? Someone you can look up to. Uh, if I was, if I was, uh, how hung hang sing he oh, jeez, <laughs> H-U-A-N-G. You think by doing these podcasts, you know, you get better with the pronunciations, but now it's getting gradually worse. I'm just getting more dispirited. I'm just getting more <laughs> H-U-A-N-G space T-S-U-N-G space H-S-I-N-G played. T I play Tian, a cook for Jin, the Jim Wu school, uh, which was Bruce Lee's school, and Maria Yi, who played Chow, uh, who played Chow Mei in The Big Boss, was also in this film, uh, one of the students at Bruce's school. And uh, in this film, I'm just going to call Bruce, in all these films, I'm just going to call Bruce Bruce. I'm not going to call him by his character's name because that would get compu- mm. confusing as fuck. I think so, uh, yeah. Yeah. When so, Chen Zen goes to do a roundhouse, who <laughs> the fuck's that? <laughs> the people listening to it be going, oh, fuck's that. Stop getting his name wrong. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Where's Bruce? I thought Bruce was in the film. <laughs> yeah, who's this? Ch- is, oh, I'm probably saying it completely different. Like, I'm probably. <laughs> um, this film um, was the first film that we got to see Bruce also make his trademark cat like screeches. And. Apparently he did this because that's what someone did in a real fight, and he perfected his this fighting style. He perfected his fighting style, which is a series of high chains kicks punctuated with dramatic pauses to build tension. And it was also the first time we got to see Bruce Lee use the nunchucks. So yeah. this this film right here was you know a lot of people building the image that a lot of people associate with Bruce Lee. 
Yeah, that was the takeaway that I got from from this film was how noisy it was. Like not not necessarily a bad way, but like all the noises, you know, to add the effect to the the fighting. Um, it was it came on much more than than the big boss did, and then obviously the nunchucks. I mean, what more do you say? We'll get into it, but just legendary. Did um, do you think Bruce sort of uh, probably popularized it? Maybe made nunchucks mainstream? Do you think, or were they already a thing? I'd say so. Yeah, I think I think he probably popularized kung fu films in general, really. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd say he did. Yeah. Mm. Um, so fist. So let's get into the film Fist of Fury, nineteen seventy-two. Uh, the text is on screen, and we introduce the story. It's raining heavily. It's pissing it down, and uh, Bruce Lee has arrived dressed in all white. If I was, needless to say, um, he, that a good, good caller for Bruce, is it? Oh, man, he look. Oh, the start of that film. Oh, he looks. Oh, oh. So uh, he arrives at the dojo and he uh, he's seeing tributes paid to his master. He's obviously, you know, he's upset. He goes he goes to the funeral where his master's being buried, and you know he's crying and he screams Sifu and he tries to dig him up. People drag him back. You know, it's very sad. And and Nora Meow, his love interest, uh, comes in and sees Bruce uh, sees Bruce praying to a picture of his master, and she tries to offer him some porridge, but he says, "Nah, uh, I'm not not for the porridge." And she goes, "Come on, mate, you haven't eaten for days." And he's like, "Nah, nah, no, nah, thanks." And uh, fan- you do have fan- to be up for porridge, to be fair. Yeah, it's not. It doesn't. Don't, I'm. I've never. I don't feel I've ever had porridge, and I don't feel I'm missing. <laughs> uh, definitely not like. Uh, I have it every yeah. day, unfortunately, because I, I, you know, try to be healthy and all that. Yeah, yeah. I, I've just got some uh, some uh, dark chocolate digestive digestive biscuits that I had this morning when I woke up. Oof. Uh, Oof. Not good. Yeah. Not good. <laughs> not good. No. No. Anyway, so Fan Juxia, who was the oldest student uh, of the the Kung Fu school, comes in and. Bruce Lee raises questions about his master's death, saying, um, you know, how did he die? And apparently he had stomach ulcers, which is the story. And Bruce is saying stomach ulcers couldn't kill, couldn't kill a man. I'm not a medical expert. I don't know. Maybe they can. Maybe they can't. Hopefully they don't because my diet is fucked. And he, uh, he Bruce Lee basically wants to find the truth behind his master's death. The next day, Bruce, James Tien, Nyora Miao, um, Maria Yi, Fan Juxia, Unicorn Chan, you know, most of the geezers from basically the, the Bruce Lee clique, the, the Bruce Lee conglomerate. Um, the put Bruce your two Lee, sweets up. Put your two sweets up. The Bruce Lee po- posse. The, uh, <laughs> the, the, the Bruce unit. J- JKD unit. J- JKD clan. Um, they, they were all at the tribute to the Sifu. And they have... A three-minute silence, which you know, I mean, I mean that that just shows how important the, the seafood was. I mean, you know, you'd have one-minute silence. They, oh, fuck, two minutes. I go for three. I mean, that's oof. that's how. Okay, go five. Go five, mate. Oof, oof, oof. And uh, and it's longer than most Goldberg matches. Oof. <laughs> and and then and I mean, then, to be fair, doing a five-minute silence is more fun than watching a Goldberg match. <laughs> Definitely. Um, and then Mr. Wu, the interpreter, the effeminate interpreter for the Bushido School of Martial Arts, which is a, a Japanese school, as I say, set in uh, Japanese-occupied Shanghai. 
this film he comes in with two henchmen uh, and he's carrying a package and he hands it to bruce van Duxia and, and everyone else at the the school and he unwraps it and it re- and he, it's revealed to be a big framed chinese calligraphy which says the sick man of asia which is a slur against Chinese people that we've talked about in the past. They, they used to get called, um, you know, I think it emanated from the, the century of, of humiliation. Um, and James Chen asks if Mr. Wu is Chinese. And Mr. Wu says, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm Chinese. But he, he says, like, uh, our paths in life are very different, he says. Um, and, and so basically, yeah, he's Chinese, but he's sympathizing with the the Japanese and Mr. Wu challenges James Chen to a fight, uh, but Fan Duxia says, nah, leave it out, sons, you know, step back. And Mr. Wu then says he would like any one of these two Japanese men to show you some Japanese kung fu, which I, I believe might be karate. I, 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 that it might. I, I'm just going by the subtitled version. Maybe they said karate, but they've, in the subtitles they said Japanese kung fu. And Bruce Lee tries to hold back his anger um and his great facial acting by bruce lee here is you really you see mm. him trying to hold back what he wants to do and he goes to seemingly strike mr Wu, and fan Duxia tells him to stop says mate leave it out son leave it out now uh, stop it mate Stop it, mate. Hold on, mate. It's not worth it, mate. It's not leave worth it. it leave it out, yeah. Leave, leave it. it out. We've all had a bit to drink here. You know, we've all had a good night. Just just leave it. And Mr. Wu taunts them some more. And one of the Japanese guys says, if anyone beats him, he'll eat the sick man of Asia's sign. Um, and you, you probably shouldn't have said that, mate. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> exposition there. Uh, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Wu taunts Bruce some more and slaps him on, on the face. And Van Duxia tells Bruce, you know, calm down, son, calm down. And then Mr. Wu leaves and says they're always happy to oblige, basically saying, if you want some, come get some. You and want some, come get some. Just bring it. Just bring it. And the same Bruce Lee is a mix of The Rock and John Cena. He, he well, he, this this guy, Mr. Wu, was was the the Rock in this this scenario, and mm. Bruce was uh, was Stone Cold, and um, at, at, and then we get one of the most iconic scenes, my favorite, one of my favorite scenes in cinema, as as Bruce Lee did, he did want some, and he, he went and got some. I mean, you go fucking hell, he got some, and uh, just before we, you know, we do go over it, because I've watched it back like a fair few times now, but. You, um, I might have seen him when I was younger, you know, but I remember like you first showed me this. Um, I think when you stayed in Brighton that weekend, maybe. yeah, yeah. And uh, I just, I know we were obviously a bit, um, no, we were completely sober online, we didn't have anything to drink at all, yeah, <laughs> we didn't partake in anything. But well, we was were only on a few cans, of, well, was I sober? I think that was before my sobriety that I, I uh, it yeah. was this yeah. was before, uh, this was pre pre sober Luis Sanchez. I mean, we. We we want these times back, but anyway, yeah. I just remember when you showed me, and I was like, "This is sick." Everything from like the directing to the choreography, um, because you know you find with a lot of the scenes from back then, um, not necessarily Bruce's scenes, but they can be a bit outdated. They can be a bit cringy, a bit cliche. And then like Louis showed me this, and I was like, "Fuck yeah!" I need to just dive into all his other films, all his other scenes here, because just the whole direction of the whole scene is insane. And it also reminds me a little bit, I think, of 
like um, Neo in Matrix Reloaded when he had that scene with all the um, all the um, yeah with that massive scene with like hundreds and hundreds of the agents. Oh uh, yeah. You know that one. I, I, obviously, there wasn't as many people here, but I always go back to that and think, yeah, there was definitely inspiration from from that to here. Definitely, yeah, I can definitely see that. Now you said it, you know, forming the circle around him. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and th- this scene as well. I mean, Bruce, you know, with his choreography and and his acting is great. He's fighting, but also the directing. We've got to give a shout out to Low Way here. The directing mm. is on point in this scene, and the camera works br- yeah. brilliant. Which is yeah. the thing that like surprised me most because I was always a bit of put off by these type of films because you know yeah the choreography is good but not necessarily the directing and the cinematography is but uh, yeah they knocked it out of the park with this one definitely definitely so so Bruce turns up at the old Bushido school um, with some students practicing um, karate or, or Japanese kung fu so so Bruce steps in he's carrying the sign he's got it covered up at the time and he asks for the master Hiroshi Suzuki. No relation to, to, you know, the other Suzuki. Um, Minoru. Minoru Suzuki, that's it. And the, the teacher, Yoshida, says, um, you know, he's not here, mate. He's not here. Come back another time. And um, Bruce says he's here to return the sign. And he um, he reveals the sign. And the, the teacher, Yoshida, laughs. And Bruce says that he's the worst apprentice in the Jibmu school. You know, maybe just to just to sort of maybe sort of as a, a bluff well maybe it's sort of just to, to put you know to, when he defeats them to put them all down so then then bruce says says the line you know we can fight one at a time or all together and the guy in the previous scene who said he'll eat the sign if anyone comes and beats him goes up to bruce tries to take his arm uh, and Bruce, he gives him a back elbow, but if you actually watch it slow down, you'll see Bruce, he does a small feint where he puts his arm out quickly and then pulls it back, then delivers the elbow and knocks mm. him back in one motion. And then he gets up and tries to go for Bruce for behind, and Bruce elbows him in the bollocks. It's then just those it, little tiny little movements, those little tiny feints, isn't it? Like, like you, if you don't look for them, you'll probably miss them, but then you look back and you're like, shit, yeah, like, incredible. Yeah, you you have you have to watch them slow down because you, you I literally can't see him at full speed, mm. and um, then the other Japanese guy from from the previous scene, he steps up to challenge him, and he goes to punch Bruce, but Bruce blocks him, then jumps out of the way, and then takes his arm, flips him over, and strikes like a theatrical pose. He then kicks him in the stomach, and and then all the other students stand up. And as soon as Bruce's leg drops with his other leg, he then does a roundhouse kick and kicks another student in the face. We, then we get the iconic high angle shot of all the students surrounding Bruce as Bruce has his hands outstretched toward them all back. They then come closer and Bruce Lee strikes another pose and they all back off all at the same time. Bruce, while he's doing this, he's taking off his top and revealing his bare chest, or oh, if I was. <laughs> Gotta get the gains out. <laughs> Gotta get the gains Bruce. out. Man, Gotta flaunt it. Man, that, this is one of the reasons this scene was iconic. I mean, oh, oh. Mm. And um, he clearly got into even better shape as well since the big boss, hadn't he? Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, he, he takes, oof, he takes, if I was, he takes his top off and he, he waits for the attack and then 
So then they approach Bruce and he kicks one in front of him, then delivers like a roundhouse kick to someone behind him, then another roundhouse to the person next to him, then does another kick, taking taking out another fighter, then kicks, then there's another kick, then a roundhouse takes someone else out, then with one foot sweeping out in front of him, kicks someone else, then with his furthest foot kicks another one, and then with his other foot swings it round to roundhouse kick another one as he rotates free uh, rotates three sixty degrees in the process. He does all of this in about six seconds. This first wave of attack. He then That's gets all it takes six seconds. Six seconds. He then gets in another stance as Yoshida takes off his glasses, looking stunned. Then someone, another one of the fighters, goes up and tries to punch him. Bruce ducks a punch, then punches the person in front of him in the stomach, then ducks a kick and picks him up and chucks him into another fighter. He then punches <laughs> someone else in the stomach and holds his pose as he like crumples to the ground. Then someone else tries to punch him and he moves, holds his arm, then hits him in the back. And then he turns 180 degrees and elbows someone else in the stomach, then strikes a pose, then bends him over, kicks someone else coming towards him up against a beam. Then someone comes at him from behind and he does a judo throw on them, lifting them over his shoulder, then lifts someone up from, from a backdrop. Like take, they take an unbelievable back bump there, then kicks, kicks someone else and hits someone and then lifts up, um, then lifts up his fists to take out two guys that stand in behind him. Then he punches someone else and and sends them flying he then delivers big punches and follows through on them and takes out two guys then elbows a guy to the gut then lifts him over over him and this is where the stunt man takes an unbelievable flat back bump he then <laughs> he then punches another guy and holds him and then back fists another guy and then this is where he holds them both and he lifts them up off the ground and spins mm. around and then chucks them like against the walls. Mm. Um, for that, actually, they did use two dummies. Uh, right. if, you, if you slow it down, if you watch it again, you can see that it's two dummies that he's actually oh, throwing oh, yeah. around there. You are right. Still, though, he's basically just giving them a wedgie in the middle of this scene. It's great. <laughs> and just yeah. to paint the picture as well, there's probably, what? how many people in the room are he's fighting against? Like 50? Yeah, so there's a lot of geezers. Mm. So he's doing all this and just destroying folk, fifty folks. But it also it all looks so realistic as well, doesn't it? Definitely, definitely. He then kicks someone to the right of him, then punches someone to the right of him. Then someone from behind kicks Bruce, and this makes Bruce do a forward roll, and he rolls on top of his top, and then when he rolls through, and when he re-emerges, you see him holding the nunchucks. The nunchucks, he, he must have basically hid underneath his shirt when he came mm. in. Just the and... faces and all the little young boys as well, because if you notice, like, at the front there, when he gets them out there, all the little the youngins at the dodo are just at the front. They're like, shit, need to get out of here. Yeah, they're all, they're all like, it's a mixture of confused and, like, a bit like, oh, my goodness, what's going to happen now? <laughs> And he does he does some tricks with the nunchucks, and and everyone's looking at it, looking at him confused and and scared, and then he takes out uh, the students who come towards him, whipping them all with the nunchucks. He then twirls them again. Then the students look shocked as it appears 
that um it, i think it appears they use this reaction shot more than more than once but, but anyway then they try to attack him again and he whips one from behind him then he does some more tricks whips a few more and then whips one while twirling like a bit like a ballet dancer maybe you know uses some of his dance mm. training that that he picked up um, yeah. also from, from his former girlfriend who's a ballet dancer and using uh, his cha-cha slide yeah yeah and um and some some of the the, the you know as i said when he had one of his girlfriends was a, a ballet dancer i believe it was amy sambo um mm. she would you know say to bruce you know why don't you try out this dance style and, and bruce would be able to do them so this this could have had an influence on him he then hits someone and in the head and that person has blood gushing from his head we then get a close-up of Bruce's eyes as he looks around the room. Then he whips a few more, then turns around 360 degrees while turning the nunchucks and everyone moves back. Bruce Lee, after he's created this space by doing this, he then waits for him to come forward and he goes low and performs a few rolls and then he whips out their legs, just going around the room, whipping them, whipping all of their legs out. And then he stands up like a fencer as we cut to the room of every of all the other fighters just all on the floor holding their legs in agony. And then there's one last student who's standing who goes for a, a sword. But Yoshida, the teacher, he stops him and approaches Bruce as he, he looks a bit bit scared. Um, and he you know has a bit of an intake of breath. Then he goes to attack Bruce. So Bruce faints then moves forward as, as Yoshida backs up. Then Bruce Lee, you know, dances around a bit. But then then Bruce goes for a few kicks, but Yoshida avoids them and moves back. Then Yoshida goes for some punches and Bruce blocks them then moves back. Then Yoshida lifts him up over his head and Bruce flips over and lands on his feet and then sort of like rubs his nose, kind of like, yeah, that's no big thing. Yeah, that's what I do. That's what I do. And then Yoshida and Bruce then block each other's attack. Yoshida then flips Bruce over when he's on the ground and Bruce grabs his leg until Yoshida's also on the ground. Then Bruce tries to hit him with a fly kick, and Yoshida rolls out of the way. Then after Bruce lands, he kicks Yoshida in the stomach. Then we see a POV shot from, from Yoshida's perspective as Bruce delivers a series of high, high kicks. Then Yoshida tries to attack Bruce, and Bruce blocks the attack, then moves out of the way, kicks him in the back, delivers a roundhouse kicks and then kicks him in the stomach with his other foot as he goes through the wooden barrier of the dojo then bruce jumps over the barrier gets him up against the wall hits him a few times then drags him round back to back to the main area of the dojo then hits him again and hits him a few more times until he's turned around then kicks him on the ass and then puts on his shirt again tucks his nunchucks in his in his old uh, trousers there and then he picks up the sign and he says chinese men are not sick men and he makes Boom. The, and he makes mic drop. Of, mic drop right there and I, I believe it was at this moment in the in the theaters that people that the actual audience was standing up and fucking like cheering um, <laughs> That's yeah it. imagine yeah, it's because in this scene you really get the feel that he was like a superhero, weren't he? Like he was larger than life in this from from this scene. Just how he that that bit at the end, yeah, which you see the way he just gets thrown and then just lands on his feet and, like you said, just rubs his nose like it's like your best shot. That moment, you're like, fuck yeah, he's like a superhero. Definitely, yeah. And then he makes the two people 
who in the previous scene come to to mock Bruce and his kung fu school, he makes them eat the uh, eat the sign as he, he tears it up and gives it to them, <laughs> yeah. and then says next time it will be glass. And yeah, just the the fear is just erupting at this, and this one of the most iconic moments in uh, in kung fu cinema here. Most definitely, and um, would be one of the the reasons he'd be so success successful, wouldn't you say? Definitely, definitely, yeah. Yeah. That motherfucker in the movie, you seen that motherfucker, he walk in the dojo. 300 motherfuckers. Bruce walk in. And we can fight one at a time. All together. If you sitting in that dojo, you got to ask yourself two questions. Either he got a bomb on his ass, or he's really a bad motherfucker. Neither one of them are good. Yeah, so then on the, on the way out, he, um... He breaks some signs, and uh, and a smaller guy comes up to him and tells him, you know, tells him off, saying, "Oh, Bruce, don't do that." Bruce looks 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 at him up and down, and then the other guy, you know, decides to leave it. Um, then I would, yeah, I would, I wouldn't, wouldn't mess <laughs> mess with him. Um, and then uh, and and it was great acting here, Bruce, as well, because you know, great acting here. Him actually acting out this emotion without actually saying anything. Mr. Wu then arrives outside of the dojo, but sees Bruce Lee leaving, and sees Bruce Lee beating up some other students outside the uh, the dojo. Hiroshi Suzuki, the master of the rival dojo, is in his office, and he asks if he knows the name of of this guy, and Mr. Wu says that he does. Hiroshi then he talks about how good you know the Japanese martial arts are, and he says to he says to them you know get get all of the the all of Bruce's students out of the school and don't come back if if you fail, um, and so yeah basically he tells them to attack Bruce's school, and um, cheeky bastard, cheeky bastard. And uh, Bruce we then see the next scene of Bruce trying to get in to Hyungung Park but he's stopped by a seat guard who points to a sign which says no dogs or Chinese allowed. Here's what I want to ask. If you watch this scene, now I don't know if this is racist to say this, and I might cut this out. Okay. It's the guard wearing brown face. <laughs> it kind of looks like it, doesn't it? Because if if you see it, I don't know, maybe... I, it, like, it look, it, he's... Is, I don't. I don't know. I've googled it and I can't find anyone. Anyone written a written anything about it. And I, I've I've not had the balls to to ask mm. out there. Does anyone think this is brown face? Because someone might be saying, "Oh, he's just you know, oh, this is skin condition or something." I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But his neck he looks completely he's got strange. Different. Lips as well, hasn't he? Yeah. It's. It's. Uh, uh, yeah. Is, is it brown again? face? Let let us know. I, 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 <laughs> let us know. Yeah, yeah just weird, weird. It's anyway, character this one. <laughs> it's very yeah, it's very con- controversial. I mean, what, what was the need? If they did do it, what was the need to to to, to <laughs> have someone in brown face? Just yeah, just uh, anyway. So um, then a Japanese person mocks Bruce and says, "If you want to get in, pretend you're a dog, and I'll take you in." Bruce punches this person in the face and then takes out two more people who come to attack him. Then the other guy gets up and Bruce Lee jumps and fly kicks him. Then Bruce jumps and kicks the sign off the wall into the air, 
then while he's in the air kicks it and shatters the sign in the air then lands down on the ground as a group of people rush around bruce and get him away while the guard blows his whistle and this was another moment in the film apparently where audiences in hong kong were just like just lit like apparently they were i think they might have been throwing seat cushions or something they basically were just like erupting and just it was like the austin pop basically like i do i compare this to i think we did talk about this in brighton i compare it a bit to like stone cold steve austin this guy comes mm. in you know it's like when stone cold comes in um for the invasion and just takes mm. out everyone just mm. the pop there it's just yeah, yeah it's a good comparison and it's mad because the, these scenes come one after the other as well so could you imagine the hype for the rest of the film like you probably wouldn't even need to see finish the film off because you've got these two scenes back to back defo yeah and i think for, for me this is a high point of the film to be fair um instead at, of at... sea cushions though it'd be we'd be throwing um beers wouldn't we but or like piss in a cup you know at a festival when someone that you really like comes on and you start throwing your, your, your piss-filled cup, and that would be us, instead of seat cushions. I've never understood that, why people throw piss when they... Like, if it was someone bad, like, you know, you, 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 I don't know, One Direction, yeah, mm. lob, lob, some, lob some urine at them. Uh, yeah. We're not advocating do that, but, but, but you know, I understand it. But, and if it's but, Chaz and Dave, you you know, feces, that, that's even better. We understand no. that. No, if it's Chaz and Dave, you, 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 you drink your beer, and you sit down respectfully, and you clap. <laughs> you throw roses at the stage. You throw your roses, maybe your underwear if you want, you know. <laughs> anyway. At at the school, um at Bruce's school, the students are training. Then the rival school arrive with Mish- Mr. Yoshida and Mr. Wu and a big fight breaks out and the rival school, the Japanese school, they they wreck Bruce's school when they wreck the dojo and the the main cast members they they you know like James Chen and all of them they hold up okay James Chen does quite well Fan Duxia he's doing all right he's chopping people all over the place um, but the rest of the students are getting the absolute shit beating out of them uh, they take the seafood seafood picture off the wall and they try to destroy it but James Chen dives on top of the picture protecting it and Mr. Yoshida stamps on him. And Mr. Wu then says to them, you have three days to hand over Bruce. Otherwise, we'll come and close your school down and you'll all be arrested. And it was a good scene. But it did show, again, the difference in skill level of, of Bruce's kung fu and mm-hmm. his, his abilities compared to everyone else. Because it, it did look robotic and very unnatural. And, yeah. you know, yeah. It's a shame it was Bruce just... wasn't in this scene, but... For the story mm. of what it wouldn't work if he yeah. was. It was the same in the, the the big boss as well. There was a scene, wasn't there? And it was quite a similar fight scene. And you know, you, you just notice the difference. Um but it is what it is, it is not everyone can can be Bruce. Exactly. If everyone was like him, then he wouldn't be special. Yeah. There would be no podcast. There'd be no podcast, no. We'd uh, yeah, just talk about Ric Flair or something instead. Yeah. Wink wink. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. We're not doing a podcast on Shaz and Dave. I'll sit that one out, thanks. Well, just, we, we, we're still working on the research. I get what you're saying. We need to research a bit more because that, that will be our biggest one. I get what you're saying. I get uh, what you're saying. Yeah. Our magnum opus, yeah. Our magnum opus, mate. Ooh, ooh. Our magnum dongs. Um, <laughs> Bruce Lee uh, then returns to the dojo and they tell him what happened. They say, oh, you know, the Japanese guys came over and you know, he sorted us out. They tell him to leave and go into hiding 
but Bruce doesn't want to leave them. And they say he, he must go tomorrow morning. And then a sad version of the main theme plays. Also, by the way, the main theme song for this film is fucking epic. So good. Bruce and Nora then have a chat. And Bruce says that he's going to come back and marry her. And she says that, you know, you know, he, he won't be away forever. And that they have an emotional moment and they hold hands. And, and, and this is a really great moment of showing Bruce and Nora's ability to act without saying anything because you can just see there's there's a bit where there's no dialogue spoken but you can just see all the emotion of 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 sorrow and of pain being conveyed between the two um great scene here very good scene mm, and it just goes to show that bruce's his acting ability is is really and has come on hasn't it definitely definitely so in the next scene we see Bruce uh, sneaking around and overhearing the chef of the school talking to someone about how he poisoned the master and how Mr. Wu hired him. And the, the, the chef's stomach is taped up for some reason. I'm not sure why. Bruce Lee then confronts them, and it turns out that the chef is Japanese. Bruce Lee leaps over the table, kicks one of them, then rolls and kicks another. He then does in the chef by punching him in the stomach in slow motion and then holding his punch. He then calls for the other guy to come out. And then he and then when the other guy does come out, he tries to attack Bruce with a cleaver. Bruce moves out of the way and the cleaver gets stuck in the table. He then kicks him, punches him several times while asking, why did you kill my my teacher? And then the guy he punches dies. So he's his first kill in this film, I believe. Um, by the way, I should say, in this film, Bruce seems to be playing the role of a serial killer because he, <laughs> he's... He, yeah, first kill so far. Mm. Uh, and it really emphasises, like, his eyes. Like, it, it, didn't we mentioned in the, the fight scene before, like, the, the this this uh, shot where they, like, pan to his eyes and just in his eyes, and you're like... That is a scary motherfucker. Like that's so. That is someone that could kill someone and feel no remorse. Oh yeah, and again, the, the broad range of abilities he has. Where in the previous scene, he he's he's most vulnerable. You know, he's he's yeah, he's commiserating with his partner about how they might you know not potentially never see each other again. And in the next scene, you see him, and he's, he's completely other end of the spectrum. He is this scary guy you don't want to mess with. He's avenging his master. Completely different ends of the spectrum from one scene to another. Uh, so, again, great acting ability here by Bruce. So, next scene, we see Fan Dukes here uh, waking up, and he sees Bruce has left him a note and a jar of biscuits for him, and saying his master was poisoned with these biscuits, and he'll find who's responsible and avenge his death. I mean, to be honest, though, there's no need to leave the biscuits, because say, for example, he didn't read the sign, he didn't read the note, and then just goes, oh, there's some biscuits here, takes a, takes a, a bite, and then goes, oh, what's this note? Oh, fuck. Uh, yeah. Don't. Yeah, you know, if you are going to avenge your master who has been poisoned with some digestives, don't you don't need to leave the digestives next to the note because no. it was just lucky that he read the note before he had the biscuits. That could have ended up very badly. True, but the thing is, some chocolate hobnobs think it's worth a bit of a food poison for the night, don't you think? I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I don't think. Uh, who poisons think... biscuits, by the way? Because you do something a bit more, like you know, inoffensive. Or you don't. You don't poison a tasty chocolate hobnob. 
Exactly, yeah. If I do, that's, yeah, surely there's easier things to poison as well. Mm. Surely there, there's easier ways to do it. Like, I don't know, poison a bit of, um, I don't know, uh, I don't know. I've never poisoned anyone, to be well, fair. <laughs> I mean, uh, Bruce, he's a nutritionist kind of guy. We, we know this, we've discussed this. You uh, poison his, his soup, you know, his tasty broth that he likes. That's what you poison. He's not going for them, them biscuits. He's not falling for that shite. Yeah, yeah, but the seafood, though, he, he did like some, some biscuits, sadly. So, yeah, he's, he, you know, diet did eventually kill him, I suppose. Yeah. Anyway, so um, so Van Zuxia walks downstairs and he sees the rest of the students saying that there's two guys hanging from a lamppost and they're basically the chef and, and the other guy in the previous scene and the two guys that Bruce has, has done in. So, so Bruce got two kills to his name, actually, I should say. And the, the the boys go and check out the bodies of the two people who've died, and they go back to the school. And Fanjuxia says, "Oh yeah, it was it was Bruce who killed him." So the next scene, we see Nora finding Bruce sitting down by a campfire cooking, and she tells him to come back, and and he says no. Yeah, he must be going. You just told me to go away in the previous scene. Like, make your mind up. What's what's fucking going yeah. on here? What's <laughs> oh, oh, bloody relationships? Yeah. That's what and, I'm saying, Lou. You can't, you, you can't beat them, man. They're not worth it. Bruce, get out of there, son. Get out of there. It, get out of there, mate. I mean, yeah, just, you, just mix signals. Like, how can I make you mix signals? I feel your pain, Bruce. I feel it, brother. Yeah, yeah. I feel a different kind of pain, more, more uh, the soreness and uh, a bleeding <laughs> sensation from my nether regions. Uh, five <laughs> years. Okay, no plasters are needed. Yeah, yeah, that is sadly a shoot. Um, so they reminisce and they talk about their plans for the future, you know, about having kids and all that, and, and they, they kiss. And then he asks her, does the name Wu mean anything to her? Uh, not a hip-hop fan, so she can no, not really, no. Um, and well, she was going to go, you mean Tang Clan? Yeah. <laughs> she, said, she, she says to Bruce, well, I've heard they ain't nothing to fuck with, mate, so I'll be, be careful, be be you want me to bring the ruckus? <laughs> and she says that he's the interpreter who came. So next scene, we see Mr. Wu and Yoshida tell Hiroshi Suzuki um, that Bruce killed the chef and the other geezer. And they were well, not a geezer, I suppose, you know, conspired to kill someone. And talk about how they were planted there to spy. And Yoshida says he's going for revenge. Mr. Wu says give the school an ultimatum and force them to surrender Bruce or the police will have the school closed down. And next scene we see the police inspector asks the students and Fanjuxia where Bruce is hiding and says you've got two days to, to hand him over or you know we're gonna have to close the school. Next scene we see Hiroshi Suzuki, Mr. Petrov who's this Russian fighter and Yoshida. No relation to Stillian. He's no relation. Man City, was he used to play for? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah no relation to the Man City player. Uh, Yoshida and Mr. Wu and some other people uh, watching a lady do an erotic dance with what sounds like Japanese music playing. And they're talking about how this fighter, Mr. Petrov, um, they're talking about how this Russian fighter, Mr. Petrov, is um you know he's going to come over and, and help him and they drink vodka and ask mr Wu to 
crawl out on his way and they they ask him to crawl out like a dog and they insult the Chinese again by saying go out like the Chinese it's basically yeah calling Chinese people dogs and she's Mr. proper giving her her best uh, Eddie Guerrero Viva La Raza yeah. isn't he shaking those bad boys shaking those titties she was pretty good with her with her dancing you know I was getting a bit you know ooh, you know if I was arousal it's so weird that all the women in the room are just so like sat there so uncomfortable having to watch this. Could you imagine? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Unless unless you're homosexual and you're attracted to, to her, then then you might be enjoying it, but they didn't seem to be enjoying it. Could be a culture thing, but it's like, you know, imagine like a woman, like a straight woman going to a strippers to a strip club. Be a bit mm. weird. I want I wonder if there is like a different like I'm not I, I've not got much experience of Chinese or Japanese culture, so I don't know if the like the um, the approach to to sex is different. Where like Japanese, maybe more in cult in Japanese culture, it is more accepted, and in Chinese culture, it's a bit more taboo. So maybe showing them all like perving over this this uh, stripper is maybe like another way for them to another way for basically to have a go at the ch- the the japanese in this film yeah uh, who knows, who knows? If, if you do know if, if you want to shed some light on it feel free to, to message us <laughs> yeah if you know the ins and outs of the uh the sex scene in japan then let us know definitely let us know uh mr Wu crawls out and um he crawls out of the room and he, he's a bit pissed as well he's a bit he's a bit you know he's, he's had a few and he gets in a rickshaw and you know, asked the rickshaw operator to to take him home, and we see the rickshaw operator is actually Bruce Lee dressed in disguise. So Bruce Lee, instead of taking him home, he takes him to a dead end. Uh, he then turns around, and you know, Mister Wu uh, sees that it's Bruce, and he's he's shitting himself there. He's terrified, and it's a good and... disguise, by the way. But he's wearing this horrendous hat. Like I can't describe how <laughs> terrible this hat is that he's wearing. It's like a like a black like sort of like fedora, but it goes inwards. It's all it's, like slanty. It's a bit like what you'd wear at like um like we like like maybe females would wear at the uh the horse racing. <laughs> it's like a high synth bouquet type type hat. Yeah, exactly. Bruce, bro, that's that's not your style. Not your no no. Um, so Bruce he then picks up the rickshaw with Mister Wu in it. And he chucks him across the street. You know, incredible feat of strength there. And Bruce asks Mr. Wu to talk. And he says it was Hiroshi Suzuki who asked him to ask the chef to poison his master. And Mr. Wu asks Bruce to take pity on him. And Bruce walks away. Then, as he's walking, Mr. Wu tries to attack him with a rock. And Bruce punches him in the stomach twice. And in the next scene, we see Mr. Wu strung up from a lamppost. So he's third kill here. So, uh, well, I mean, it's, yeah. uh, killing spree, Bruce. He is. He is. He is a serial killer in this film. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah that's uh, uh, yeah. He, he yeah. puts the other Bruce Lee's a shame. Yeah, this is definitely Bruce's darkest film. This, this is like, like you know, there was bits of levity in the previous film, you know, and in the in in the, the films I ever side of this, there there is. 
there's bits there's happy moments and sad moments in the film this film is all darkness it it, ter- it starts out with him seeing his father seeing his master and you know crying and all of that then he, the rest of the film is getting vengeance and facing death threats and 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 he's going out and killing people it's it's basically all darkness this film so then in the next scene we see hiroshi suzuki yelling at the police inspector uh, who we learn in this scene is, is Chinese and the police inspector says he just wants to enforce the law and that he can't arrest Bruce without proof and Hiroshi Suzuki says you get Bruce or we'll close the school after the police inspector leaves Hiroshi Suzuki says they'll report Bruce to the Japanese consulate then we see the per- the police inspector uh, buys a newspaper from an old man which is uh bruce lee disguised as an old man uh who's selling newspapers and bruce while he's in this disguise he overhears them talking about going back to the school to look for bruce so the police inspector goes back to the school and asks van juxia to hand over bruce he says he doesn't and van juxia says he doesn't know where bruce is and the police inspector says he's under pressure from the Japanese consulate, you know, you can hand over Bruce. He says you've got one more day to hand over Bruce or prepare to go to prison. And Nora asks to speak to Fanjuxia privately, and she tells him that she knows where, where Bruce is. So the next scene, we see Bruce on, in another disguise again. Bruce is on a telephone pole disguised as a cable guy. And he goes to the rival school, the rival dojo, where you know, he'd previously uh, done everyone's heads in. And he says he's from the telephone company and he goes in there and pretends to fix the phone. And while he's in there posing as um, a telephone repairman, he sees Mr. Petrov demonstrating to the other students how strong he is. And he's like bending a bar and what have you like around his oh arm. God. I never thought shit. Bruce could make himself look like such a dweeb, but it's to these t- these two bloody get ups here. The first that terrible hat and then these <laughs> set of glasses. He's got these like glasses that are clearly the wrong lenses for him. Make him look like bloody eyeball Paul. <laughs> well, he's 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 showing his maybe it is like a, just another like displaying of his range, you know. I can, I can play this role. I can play <laughs> this role. He wanted Maybe. to be uh, be cast as the first Asian Superman. That's what it was. Could be preparing for that for that script, or he's got to play four characters. But, or or it it could be that like you ever seen the film Bedazzled, the, the not the original, but the remake with Liz Hurley, yeah. and she's obviously Liz Hurley, stunning, and the, the film is is pretty much shit. But but <laughs> the, but in the film we do get to see like Liz Hurley dressed up in a manner of different costumes and I'm thinking they wrote that whole film just so they could see Liz Hurley dressed up as a nurse or Liz Hurley dressed up in latex so maybe it's partly like you know Bruce he's fit maybe you know peel into some fantasies you know and see him dressed up as an old man see him dressed mm. up as a cable guy mm. <laughs> that's what you like to see eh well, yeah, I mean people might have that fetish you know you know <laughs> Uh, yeah, so he's, he's got, he went into the room, pretends to fix the phone. So Bruce Lee, after he's um, he's seen like, Mr. Petrov demonstrating his skills, he then gets taken into a room with Hiroshi Suzuki, and he gets asked to fix the phone in there. And Bruce pretends to fix the phone. 
Bruce leaves the room and Yoshida says we'll kill all of the school um, so there's no witnesses and uh, Suzuki agrees. Fanjuxia, Nora and the rest of the students, they, they look for Bruce and they go to the campsite where he was before. They go to where he was before by the campfire, but they can't see him. Bruce then walks to the rival school as the theme song plays. This time he's not in a disguise. He's just dressed, you know, as he usually would. Normal Bruce. Normal Bruce. He walks into the dojo. There's not as many students in there, just a few. And he says to the students, you know, he's come to avenge his teacher and tells the students to leave. The students don't leave. And he takes them out by giving them by giving someone an eye poke uh, until blood comes out from their eyes. Pretty gruesome. Then he throws a table at another guy. Um, and luckily, you know, <laughs> get the tables. But, but luckily, they're, they're Japanese tables, so that they don't break, as we know. <laughs> of course. Uh, uh, Mr. Shi then comes out and said he's going to go face to face with him. Uh, he waves his hand up and down. Bruce waves his hands up and down to distract him. Yeah, Bruce then kicks him. Yoshida gets a sword and Bruce Lee dodges the sword as Yoshida tries to attack him. He Bruce then drops down and gives him a sliding low kick, then kicks the sword out of his hands, bends him over, and the sword comes down in slow motion and goes right through Mr. Yoshida, all in slow motion there. Bruce then uh, punches Mr. Yoshida in the face. He's fourth. Fourth kill of the film. Fourth, fourth kill. Uh, not holding back, is he? Not holding back. No, no. I think he's uh, tallying these. Um, I don't. Well, I admit the police must be. The police must be. To be fair, <laughs> be fair, he's committing some crimes here. He he then takes out three other guards on his way through the garden in front of Hiroshi Suzuki's office. He's just fucking unstoppable at this point, isn't he? Like, why would you even bother? Exactly. He's he's out for vengeance here. Uh, and we see some great camera work in this scene as um, as Bruce punches the last guy twice in the bollocks. Then Mr. Petrov uh, steps forward and uh, Bruce and Mr. Petrov, they face off with each other in like the garden part outside of Suzuki's office. And Bruce and Mr. Petrov have an open exchange blocking each other's shots. They then circle each other and Bruce gets in another stance. Mr. Petrov then tries to attack, but Bruce moves out of the way of the shots. Then Mr. Petrov hits Bruce three times, and then Bruce kicks Mr. Petrov to the ground, tries to jump on him, but Mr. Petrov rolls out of the way and kicks him. They then both stand up. Petrov blocks a few of Bruce's shots. Then Mr. Petrov attacks and punches him in the face, knocking him down. Bruce then does a kind of monkey flip, catapulting uh, Mr. Petrov over him, then stands up and kicks him in the face. Then, as he goes down, kneels down and punches him, then tries to punch him again. Then Mr. Petrov holds his hands and gets Bruce into an arm bar. And there's no ropes, no rope breaks of Bruce. You know, he, he's struggling. He, um... Arm bar. <laughs> arm drag. <laughs> He's, he does the, the Dima Leng, uh, Chris Jericho's move at 103 and um, <laughs> Bruce again no rope no rope break so what can he do he has to bite Mr. Petrov's leg and he bites Mr. Petrov Mr. Petrov's leg and Mr. Petrov 
let's go of the hold. Uh, and another demonstration here of Bruce's philosophy and why he probably, you know, maybe wouldn't go into MMA because, you know, in his philosophy, mm. it's use everything you can, you know, use mm. what you can to win the fight. That's that's how he yeah. fights for real life combat. Yeah. Could you imagine his record? He went on Wikipedia and you'd be like, <laughs> Bruce Lee, 20 fights, 20 disqualifications, that's zero that... wins, 20 losses. Maybe that's another reason how he influenced John Jones, you know, getting getting mm. influence for that elbow. It's just like, well, you know, Bruce yeah. says use everything. I mean, let's hope he's uh, didn't influence him in the hit and run department and in the cocaine sniffing department too. Yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> um, they then face off again, as uh, as the as I imagine somewhere a crowd is try- chanting "Fight forever" somewhere. Um, they <laughs> you then... was behind your TV screen, weren't you? <laughs> I was geezer. I was. Uh, they then block each other's shots, and then Bruce starts waving his hands to distract Mister Pe- Petrov. And they—I'm not sure how they did this effect, but it's like sort of a, a slow motion type effect where you, like, it's like Bruce's arms. Are, it like appears that he has several different arms, like follow, mm. like all like completing this motion. It's hard to describe. It's cool though. Um, very, very Especially cool. Especially yeah. for for back then, you know, we were talking about like cinematography in the in the film. I mean, yeah, it really set a precedent, didn't it? I think, and then this is a scene that it really emphasizes that. Definitely, yeah. Then we get a shot from Bruce's perspective as he comes forward with kicks, and Bruce moves back, and then Bruce looks at Mister Petrov's stance as he has his um, left foot forward, and then Bruce kicks him in the head with the foot furthest from him, which opens a cut on Mr. Petrov's head. Mr. Petrov then tries to hit Bruce, and Bruce dodges all of his shots and then jabs him in the face a few times, then jabs him in the face over and over, and then goes low, and Mr. Petrov blocks it. Then he jabs him in the face again. He then faints a blow to the stomach and jabs him in the face again, then hits him a few more times, then punches him in the stomach, then Mr. Petrov tries to attack him again and Bruce moves back and then comes forward and faints a high shot and then kicks him in the ribs, which sends Mr. Petrov tumbling backwards. Then they face off again and Mr. Petrov blocks Bruce's leg kick. Bruce then kicks him in the face. Then we get close up of both of their then we get close ups of both of their faces. We also get a close up of Hiroshi Suzuki's face who's watching this. Bruce then kicks Mr. Petrov in the head in slow motion. Then Bruce goes and grabs Mr. Petrov by the head, pulls back his head, and Knife Edge chops him in the neck. Sort of implying that he might have killed him, so he might be kill number five here. Yeah, I'm, I'm going for that. I mean, looking by Petrov's face, the, 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 the eyes were definitely going to the back of his head. So, yeah, I'd give it to Bruce, kill number five. Kill he number five. De- he deserves it. Yeah, he's well. I don't, I'm not saying you, you know, we're not advocating killing here, but uh, yeah, he's uh, if this was GTA, Bruce Lee, I think it'd be on his third star probably at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not quite an army truck yet, but that's to come. That's to come, yeah, and the helicopters ain't come out yet. Mm. So, Bruce defeated Mr. Petrov, he then goes into Suzuki's office, and Suzuki hides. Then Suzuki tries to attack Bruce with a sword. Bruce ducks. Bruce then jumps on the desk and uses a piece of wood to block uh, Suzuki's attack. Suzuki then cuts the wood down, so Bruce throws uh, the wood at him. 
um, which I, I think is quite a funny scene. That's quite a bit of comedy <laughs> in, in in amongst this this fight. Oh no! Then, very rare sight of comedy. Yeah, in this in this very dark, probably the, probably the only bit of comedy in this dark film. Actually, speaking of comedy, so Suzuki is like the big the big boss essentially of this this film. What yeah. do you think of his mustache? How do you rate it? Yeah, I I like it. It's very like, like it. it's if if you want to if you want to like say like this guy is the bad guy. That's the mustache to have. That's like <laughs> it's straight away you know no messing about. This guy's a wrong. <laughs> that could be on your uh, your your next Geese Nation list of uh, wrongans. Suzuki's mustache. When I asked, well, the thing is, the list is like people I hope aren't wrongans, but that's the thing. If I see him, I'm like, nope, he's a wrongan. I know that from the start. That's like, I'd be surprised if he wasn't a wrongan. He'd make a different <laughs> list, I reckon. <laughs> oh, you hold off a different list then. Yeah. Top what, 11 what about, people we turned out who weren't wrongans. You turned out weren't wrongans. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Um, what, what about yourself? What is your, your, I'd your opinions? Yeah. Well, at first, I was like, what is this horrendousness? But as the film's gone on and it's gone on, I'm like, I'm, I'm, so, I'm kind of growing into it, and it's like, it, it suits him. Like you said, it suits him. It's a terrible mustache, awful. I give it a zero, but it suits Suzuki, and that's, and that's that. That's all I'll say. If, if it was, would you? I, oh, if are you saying if I could grow a mustache, would it grow one like that? Okay, Definitely I'm not. Could, I could be saying that, but also, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Yeah, I would. I would. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, possibly, possibly. Just to say I've done it with an Asian film star. I mean, come on, who's, who's going to pass up that chance? Exactly, exactly. Mate. Shared the screen with Bruce Lee. Shared the bed with with with, with me if I was. So, uh, so after Bruce throws the wood at him, Bruce then dodges some more attacks, and that Mister Suzuki tries to hit Bruce with as Mister Suzuki is trying to hit him with the sword. And Bruce gets cut. Bruce then throws something at Suzuki. It looks like mints. Uh, he throws some mints in his face. Then he gets <laughs> some fucking, some fucking mints and some polos to the face. Ah, oh, it <laughs> hits him with, a, with with some mentos to to the dome. He he, he then gets gonna, out. I'm gonna use that definitely. <laughs> mentos. Next time to the I'm dome. in a fight, yeah, just get a pack of mentos. Oh, that that could be a good album cover, Mentos to the Dome. He then uh, he then cuts out. <clears throat> he then gets out his nunchucks, and uh, he's swinging them around as he's trying to like put Suzuki off, trying to like distract Suzuki's focus. Uh, he then whips Suzuki twice in the face. He then whips him low, and then whips the sword out of his hands. Then Bruce throws down the nunchucks, and Bruce and Suzuki have a bit of back and forth. Then Bruce fly kicks him through the screen door of the office into the garden, and Bruce jumps out after him and sees that with this, with doing this, he's, he's killed him, and he has a bit of look of regret. Kill number six. Are you sure it's up. fucking regret? I'm scared for my life after he kills him. <laughs> that is a serial killer. He looks like he's really constipated. <laughs> could be that as well could be that not not a lot of time to go to the bog in this film <laughs> clearly i think that's what this uh the, the end game of this film is the 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 end goal is for bruce to just relieve one exactly yeah the fist of fury the poor the the, the poor, what you know <laughs> the bog of fury bog of fury yeah maybe maybe have one of them biscuits after all <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, and yeah, so he's, he sees that he's in the garden, he's done him in, and he looks to the sky, you know, looking a bit of regret, like, oh, fuck, so I killed a sixth person. Oh, fuck's sake, got to stop doing this, mate. Come on. For Lent, Lent, he's pretty saying to himself, for Lent, I'm going to stop doing people in. So then the next scene, we see Nora, Fanjuxia, and a few other students get back to the school to see everyone in the school has been killed, all been done in. Uh, James Chen is still alive, and they run to him, and James Chen says Suzuki did it, and no one's alive. And then James Chen, he then dies then. And Fanjuxia says Bruce was right. Outside the dojo uh, of Bruce's school, we see the Japanese representative standing with soldiers and says that he needs to get through. And the police inspector says that he'll go in and get him. But, but just him, no soldiers. So the police inspector then walks into the dojo and sees everyone's dead. Fanjuxia says Mr. Suzuki killed all of the students. And then the, and, and the Japanese representative says, you know, you know, watch what you say. You know, you've got no proof here. And the inspector says that he has to arrest Bruce. And the, 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 the police inspector, as we say, establishes Chinese and just a human being who sees all the carnage here. He, he mm. doesn't look happy about arresting Bruce. So Fanjuxia says he doesn't know where Bruce is. And the Japanese representative says, you know, why don't you arrest all of them? And then we see Bruce, he's come back to the school and he's come back to see everyone dead. And he walks in on them about to arrest the people at the school. And the inspector says, you know how powerful the Japanese are. Um, Bruce gives himself up and he has a sad moment with Nora. Um, and he has a sad moment with some of the students as well as Fanjuxia, as you know, he knows that this is it. And he says to the police officer, if I turn myself over to you, will you leave the school alone? And the police inspector says, you know, you have my word, you know, we'll leave these, leave these geezers alone. Bruce shouts at the representative and says he'll accept punishment. But, you know, again, leave the school alone, leave them out. They, they weren't involved. Uh, Bruce then walks to the front door with the police inspector, the representative and Fanjuxia. And the students from the school are behind them and he walks out of the front door and we see a, see a wall of soldiers and men in suits and the soldiers uh, have rifles pointing at Bruce. And Bruce, you know, seeing that, well, this is it, you know, gonna gonna be done in here. He, and we see the, the music as well, as well by this point is starting up as well. He then runs and screams fly kicks at them then we cut right there freeze on the shot of bruce fly kicking mm. credits come up end of the film and what a film what yeah. a film fist cool. of fury cool ending as well and a very similar ending to the big boss isn't it i mean essentially you get arrested i mean i don't know it's a bit ambiguous at the end the age you think it's more on the lines he gets killed gets shot yeah, I think I think it is. He's he's gonna get done in. Yeah, I think it is. I think he's gonna get done in. I think it's basically, yeah, he's he's gonna get shot. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, why? Like, what do you think that means? You know, because the ending's quite similar. Abo, he does all this thing, and you know, there's hope there. But then, at the end, I like the fact it doesn't end. You know, in this cliched, happy-go-lucky kind of way. Like, it's realistic, isn't it? Definitely, yeah. I think it's 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 just basically like um, 
I don't know. It's it's. Um, I think that what they were definitely going for here was like a gritty, serious, dark film, and they mm. they did it. I mean, this was just darkness personified right here, just beginning to end, just a bleak, bleak film, but mm. uh, a great film. But you great could definitely, film. yeah, you could definitely see how if you were. Uh, from Hong Kong watching this at the time Japanese occupation about like less than 30 years before this you know you, a lot of your relatives you know mm. probably went through that time you know you yourself probably remember that time as well and you can just imagine after seeing this film just uh, ending on that frame right there of this guy who uh, this this guy came out there single-handedly defended the honor of Chinese people and and died for the cause and we end on that scene right there of him sacrificing himself so that his his friends and his mentor you know wouldn't get killed and you can just see how that would lead audiences to just lose their minds mm. in the cinema at the time yeah incredible Powerful message it's like he because he's sort of alone throughout this film as well isn't he in a, in a way and like he's like it's like he's got all of this on his back and he's carrying it all on his back and it translates from not just the film, but obviously, you know, in real life as well. Definitely, yeah. It's one man up against the establishment. Mm. Um, yeah. And yeah. obviously with the big boss, that put him into the stratosphere, but this this solidified that he'd stay and that he was here to stay and it would only, you know, get better. And it this proved that, you know, he was he was a, he was a massive film star and he was powerful and he was... And he was he was really hitting his stride with this film. Definitely, yeah. I mean, this this film um, would... I mean, in the next part of the series, we'll go on to talk about its success a bit more. But needless to say, it went on to, to, to break the record that he held for the big boss, went on to break that again. So, yeah, mm. Bruce Lee having unprecedented success in the Hong Kong film industry at this point. And uplifting a whole nation of um well i mean the people in chinese mainland couldn't see it at the time but uplifting all the people of hong kong as well in the process mm. um uh, yeah and where would you rank it um as a film itself um i, I rank it hmm, rank it as number two i'd say I'd yeah put number two behind behind uh and the dragon i'd say yeah i agree with that i was going to say number two and uh, but in terms of fight scenes, though, possibly with the best fight scene that he's ever done. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that that fight scene's one of them. It's there's there's few things that I put on whenever I'm like you know need a bit of motivation. Um, there's that that fight scene, uh, Liverpool beating Barcelona, uh, Liverpool uh, beating Tottenham in the Champions League. Lexi uh, Bell. Uh, Lexi Bell, uh, Liverpool, uh, uh, the last-minute goal against Everton. And what about and, her Everton winning two 0 the other night? I don't remember that. I've not. I've, I don't know that. I think you're making that up. I don't. That'll know. be one for me. I know I got on the sesh straight to that after that. But I, uh, don't, I don't believe that happened. I think that's <laughs> that's made up. Yeah, just right. this yeah. is quite an interesting. Uh, it's easy to watch film as well. So go, I, I, if I would say to go out and watch it, yeah, do it because. The first half an hour is probably the best because it's got two sick fight teams back to back. And then the last half an hour is just all fight teams as well in a, in a way. So I kind of liked how the film flowed as well. It's it's a nice and easy watch. Definitely, yeah. It's it's one of them where it's um it's it's um 
yeah, it's a powerful film. I'd watch it at the end of the night. Like, if you were just watching a fight scene, that's something you get you amped up. Like, yeah. But if you're watching the whole film, it's going to bring you down because it is very bleak. But it's it's great, great film. I, I really enjoyed it. Definitely. And uh, only more to come. The best is yet to come, I should say. Yeah, to quote the old Frank Sinatra, the best is yet to come. Good old Frank, eh? Good old Frank. Got a, got one in the chamber in the future as well, I imagine. Oh, yeah, some some darkness in those episodes. Oh, believe you me. Oh. We'll, we'll go more in depth about the immediate follow-up of the of the film in the timeline of Bruce Lee's life in the next part. Uh, but this, gr- at the time, just to say, grossed $4.3 million in Hong Kong dollars at the time. And it swept throughout Asia. It was successful in the Philippines. It ran nonstop um, for, I think it ran nonstop for six months. And um, and apparently, because uh, of the success of this film, I think the Philippines were pressured into uh, limiting the importing of foreign films to protect the local film industry. Uh, in Singapore, fans filled the streets outside cinemas, causing traffic jams, causing them to delay the release of a uh, release of the film for a week so they could um, arrange the traffic and control the crowds scalpers were selling tickets uh, for the film um, the tickets I think $1 they were selling them for $15 when it did actually get shown and it was even successful in Japan as well when it was released uh, in 1974 and and yeah it, it, and it, so it massive success just show a quick glimpse into how successful this film was um, and it's like an well, event wasn't it it's a bit like Beatlemania in a way yeah Definitely, definitely, because already he's got he's got the star from the Green Horn. Well, well, actually, already he's got the star from being a child actor. Then he get, goes to America, makes the Green Hornet. They repackage it as the Kato Kato show. So he's got some buzz around him, returning hero. Then the big boss. Now he's a, a solidified movie star, and so here he's already on top. And people people have the expectation. They're amped up for this, and then just riding the tide of Chinese nationalism delivers this film which I think is the perfect film it's, it's giving the people what they want and just perfect example of the needs meeting the demand and you can see the results here of how successful it was um, mm. what about yourself is there anything you want to conclude with before we sign off yeah no just just added to that got to give the people what they want that that popped in my head when you said that <laughs> uh but no just yeah as you say we've the, the evolution that's happened with bruce now it's got to this point and i think he's really honed in on his craft really honed in on his acting skills his writing ability his technique so we're at the stage now where unfortunately you know shit's gonna go down in the, in the next part which is gonna be sad because it's like wow this is the talent He's reached his his pinnacle, you know. He's reached his potential as has, has been reached with this film with Fist of Fury, and it would only get better. But unfortunately, it, it wouldn't last as long as we would hope. But uh, yeah, it's a good place to sign off, Lou. So I'll just say this for ourselves: it's been another great one. Thanks for your time, Lou. As per always, we will get back on recording the next part uh, shortly. Shortly, so we'll have some some in the chamber to come out at you quickly. We know it's been a few weeks. We know you miss us. You know you miss her and Abby's voices. So just give us a follow on Instagram. Keep up to date. It's That's why they were quality. Facebook, that's why they were quality podcast. 
And don't forget, Louis, you want to tell them your Tinder and Grinder? Go for it. Well, I don't have a grinder because I'm not, but if I was, I would, but I'm not. But uh, but Tinder, yeah, Luis Sanchez, plenty of fish. Again, Luis Sanchez, OK Cupid, Luis Sanchez, Hinge. Again, Luis Sanchez, uh, you, you'll see me on there. Bumble? Um, I don't think I'm on Bumble yet, but I might get on that one. Um, so... Bumble, the girl has to talk to you first, so maybe that's something you should look into. Oh, there'd be, there'd be no, no point then, would there? <laughs> uh... Yeah, but, but yeah, fo- follow me on Twitter. Um, on uh, follow us on Twitter. That that's why they were quality podcast. Uh, I think that's the Twitter handle. Um, and yeah, just just Geese Nation as well. Keep watching the channel. Videos are still they're mm. coming out thick and fast. Mm. Um, and uh, and um, you know, just yeah, keep subscribing to the to the podcast and to the YouTube channel. And the next episode, you know, Cypress Hill. They may be saying, you know, the way of the walk. The next episode is the way of the dragon. So uh, tune in for that. I love it. I love it, Luke. Thanks for your time, man. And peace out, geezers. Yeah. I think this, the song titled Stoned is the way of the walk. That's what it was. That's it? right. Still yeah. works. Still works. Still works. Keep it in there. Keep it in there. See you later. Cypress Hill is here to give you a nice dream Speak it like a roller and you know it's real time